The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Young Lion King, Carl Fredericks, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith On today's show we're discussing the latest Road to New Beginning shows Previewing the New Beginning in Nagoya Answering your questions and covering all this news In the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network Or to Keeping a Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice And leaving a rating interview You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com Check out our Pro Tea store, prosomtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I am hanging in there, man. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Just, you know, getting through these these Road, road to New Beginning shows. Finally on the uh, way to Nagoya this weekend. Yeah, you know... For the first time uh, since this tour, I don't feel like I'm getting through them. I feel like I'm actually enjoying these shows finally. Yeah, that these these last, especially these last three shows, have been very enjoyable. There've been a lot of interesting angles. I've been mixing some things up to really, you know, make the feuds going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've had a lot of like story progression, um, you know, feud building, just uh, a lot of like kind of like little. Um, morsels that you can kind of stick your teeth into. And one thing I like about that, I was on a uh, group, uh, like, you know, one of those, I don't know, you know, I'm not technologically advanced. So what are they? They're like Facebook groups yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Facebook groups. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was one of those groups and someone was asking about, you know, should they watch the Road 2 shows? You know, and it, it, it always seems about this time of the year, right after Wrestle Kingdom, you get a lot of people that are like, I want to get into New Japan. How do I do that? You know? Should I be watching these shows? Like they all seem pretty repetitive, and um, you know we we kind of give them the standard answer. Like it's not necessary, but you learn a lot, you get a lot out of it. The wrestling's good, but uh, you know sometimes you tell people that, and some tour not all road two tours are created equal. <laughs> yeah, some of them are literally just rehashed matches over and over again with very little, you know, seasoning, very little, you know, pepper thrown on there. There's not a lot to, uh, to flavor the shit, but you know, um, 
what the, this one, I think because they've really prolonged the tour with the fact that there is no new beginning or there is no uh, Fantastic Mania and had to kind of stretch it out. They've done a lot of really cool, you know, just a lot of really cool little things uh, along the way to where, you know, if, if that young gentleman that I was chatting with <laughs> decided to watch, I don't look like such an idiot telling them that there's some worthwhile stuff there because there actually is this time. Yeah. Well, let's dive into it. We got a three road to show to talk about. We'll kind of go over the results, talk about any uh, big story elements, any results there. And then we'll go into a uh, new beginning in Nagoya, which is a Saturday. Give our official preview and predictions for that. Okay, let's do that. So January 23rd, we had the first road to new beginning show here for this uh, past week. Opened up, we had Suzuki Goon, team of Doki, Minoru Suzuki, defeating the world class tag team, Gato and Jado. Uh, Doki getting, getting the big win here. Yeah, um, he seems to kind of be on a little bit of a hot streak, huh? Yeah. Uh, very interesting here. We've been seeing this kind of bullet club, Suzuki Goon rivalry, really spilling off of the junior tag title feud and the heavyweight tag title feud. So. Interesting to see kind of get down to this level with, you know, Gato and Jado in there. And also the main story element here is, you know, they're still kind of been teasing a Jado Doki singles match as well as a story of Gato just kind of being, you know, depressed, uh, despondent uh, towards Jay White leaving. Well, you know, um, a lot to kind of unravel there with with the Doki thing. One thing I'd like to point out, you know, so. They've given some focus on him recently. He picked up a couple wins during the uh, uh, Best of the Super Juniors. And then, you know, there's that big uh, never open weight six-man tag team match where he was sort of the focal point. Um, but those are kind of what you call the beginning of a push. And then eventually that push either, you know, lands somewhere or it doesn't, you know. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, if, if a push is successful, it elevates you. And I think we're at the point where Doki's quote-unquote push is halted for now, and we're kind of figuring out where he is in the pecking order. And where he is is he's in tag matches with the leader of his crew, and he's able to pick up the win against guys like Gato and Jado. Now, that might not seem like a lot to most people, but six months ago, there's no way Doki would have been beating Gato or Jado. He would have been the guy assisting Minoru Suzuki to pick up these wins. That's exactly what I thought about when I was watching Saturday. I was like, oh, wow, like, this is this is the elevation, believe it or not. Because, yeah, like you mentioned six months ago, this same exact tag match would happen. You best believe we're getting a Gato clutch or Jado doing something, you know, the, the rope assist to DDT to get the pin here on Doki. Yeah, either Doki was eating the pinfall or Suzuki was getting the win. You wouldn't have thought Doki would be the guy picking up the pinfall. I think we're at the point where Doki is – Right on par with, like, let's say, um, God, uh, Toa Hanare. Yeah. You know, someone who he's not going to beat all the, you know, the top, the upper guys. He's still lower card. Right. But he's not beating Hiromu tomorrow. Right. He's not going to beat Hiromu or anything like that. But he is going to beat the Lions and he's going to beat some of the older talent. And, you know, he's going to get showcased in matches and be given opportunities. And that's where, that's where they see Doki, which means, this whole thing where Doki was fighting, you know, to never go back to the slums of Tijuana, I think it's successful. I think he's here to stay. <laughs> yeah, that man probably got him some uh, Obari money, got that contract <laughs> locked in. 
so yeah, so interesting stuff there. And, and as throughout the weekend, we continue to see this feud with uh, Bull Club and Suzuki Gun kind of continue. Uh, next match of the night, we had. Well, we had a question. Is today the twenty sixth? Yeah. <laughs> on your rundown, sir. <laughs> Hold on. I. You know what? My rundown's not refreshed. Hold on. Go ahead and uh, read that question while I get my okay together. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, uh, you know, on air, uh, you know, team meeting. We're we're reviewing the twenty third roads in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, I just okay. had a, I refreshed my doc for whatever reason it didn't update, but yeah. Okay, so we have a question from Viking Pain. <laughs> he asked, "We've talked about babyface Jay White, but what about a babyface Minoru Suzuki?" Yeah, I think we, we've kind of talked about this before with Suzuki and people kind of asking about Suzuki Goon, and I just feel like Minoru Suzuki is just one of those characters that it's, it's never going to be a quote unquote full on babyface. He might be in situations where you want to cheer him over the guy that he's going against or you just have so much respect for him that you, you like him, but he's still going to do the same, you know, crazy wild man tactic. He's still going to beat up young lions, grab the chair, break the rules. Uh, well, de- devil's advocate, I don't know. I can't. Obviously, we're not talking to Viking pain, but I could imagine maybe he's saying, well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he still does all that stuff. But he's a babyface a la Steve Austin, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think it's kind of semantics. Like my my whole thinking is I think he already is almost babyface. <laughs> um, and that might contradict some things I've said on the show previously where I don't think that they're going to go full babyfaces. I just can't see Suzuki Goon as a whole entire collective unit ever collectively being, you know, baby faces. You know, right. I think that they will always be heel leaning whatever whether they're tweeners, whether they're full fledged heels. Um but I mean, you know, at this point, Minoru Suzuki's getting to that that status and ha- probably has been for a while now where like he's not gonna get booed hardly unless he does something really, really bad. Yeah. So yeah, just one I think so I think it's kind of semantics. I think the real question is Will the company ever get behind them as a quote unquote tweener slash babyface group and really push that narrative? Will they book them that way? You know, are we going to see a full fledged Empire versus Suzuki Goon, you know, tour or, you know, feud or something like that, which I don't see that happening, you know, anytime soon. Right. I mean, even even this weekend when we've seen them against Bullet Club and then they kind of switched towards the end, had them going against Hauntai guys. So it's yeah. like, for whatever reason, they, they don't fully see them quite in that role yet. Yes, they have this huge bullet club, but they still see them more on the heagle-leaning side. Yeah, and I know his question is specifically about Suzuki, but I feel like as the leader, you can't really have that discussion without talking about both aspects of it. But, I mean, you know, Suzuki's kind of like how Liger was towards the end of his career. Like, you know, he travels the world, he gets cheered, people do the Kaze Ninare. You know, he's got all these spots that people love. Like, he, he's just a beloved guy at this point. Like, it's, uh, you know, I mean, who who would dare to boom Minoru Suzuki, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, so moving on to the next matchup now, we had the Chaos team of Goto, Okada, and Yoshihashi defeating the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, I don't really think there's a lot story elements here. We're continuing to see just the, you know the build up for an eventual Okada Evil match. 
Not sure if that's going to happen at Castle Attack or if that's going to be a anniversary show match or a New Japan Cup match, but they're still building that up. The one thing I will say, uh, Okada's out there with his buddies. He's out there with, you know, Goto, Yoshihashi, Ishii. And they're just having fun. And, yeah. you know, the Bull Club guys are too. Uh, you know, I could definitely see where people might criticize the direction and, you know, all that sort of thing. But, I mean, there's a difference between serious feud uh, Okada going up against Yujiro Takahashi or going to get, going up against Gato, you know, all 2020 versus six-man, multi-mans where they're doing, you know, cheap poses and funny spots. and Yeah, the little, know, little just, drum spot thing they do. Yeah, they're just they're getting in there. They're having fun. They're getting out. I mean, these are non-offensive matches, and they're, they're they fulfill exactly what they're supposed to be, which is a holdover till the next tour. Because right now, Naito doesn't really, or I'm sorry, Okada doesn't have much going on. But you know, kind of like Naito, so they're right. kind of in the same similar you know vein right now. Yeah. So the next matchup we had the United Empire. We had Great O'Connor and Will Osprey. They defeated Tenkoji. By disqualification. So, you know, DQs are very rare in New Japan. You know, normally the refs kind of let things fly. But, you know, these these teams here, it's a hot, heated feud here. Going at each other uh, with chairs, brawling all over the place. And uh, Tenzon just taking it to the Great Alcon and wrecked his back up that chair. Which uh, finally let uh, Kento Sato just call for the DQ here. This is... This is different, man. This is something that we haven't seen too much of in uh, New Japan in recent years. You know, every every now and again we'll see like a heated feud that have, you know, segments and spots and interferences, things like that. But uh, very rarely does it just get into all out like this can't be contained. You know, we can't have straight standard matches. And that's what we're getting here. I mean – um, it's kind of funny. It like harkens back a little bit to like some of the stuff we got with Liger and Suzuki a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Harkens back to even like what we're getting with Jericho and Omega. Uh, this is super throwback, very 1980s, you know, Southern Memphis territory like type of uh, stuff we're seeing here. And these guys are just going at it with weapons, going at it with chairs and tables. And I'm here for it. Yeah, I love this. You know, we can play all the time where you see, you know, "Quote unquote blood feuds where somebody gets taken out and then they come back and then they start the match with a lockup. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? And this is the exact opposite we got here. Like, they took Tenzon out. They took out Kojima's best friend, his tag, longtime tag team partner. These guys are coming for a vengeance. You know, they're not you know gonna lock up. They're gonna fight. They're gonna you know throw the ref out the ring. They're gonna throw him against the guardrail. Use the chairs, and that's what we saw here. And it was great. A lot of intensity. And I love the DQ finish here. I know normally. We, we might be against DQ finishes and other promotions and other products, maybe just in wrestling in general. But I like the DQ here because obviously in a straight-up tag, United Empire is probably getting the win here. But you, you need to keep Tenzon and Kojima strong going into Nagoya. So you don't really want to beat either of those guys here in this tag match. So this DQ allows neither guys on either side to get, get um, you know, pinned, and then you need to heat this feud up. Well, wrestling is storytelling, and so, I mean, you know, sometimes when you watch a match divorced from the story itself, you lose some of the context. So, I mean, someone could be not watching the product, and then they're like, well, what what were the results here? And they're like, oh, there was a DQ in this 11-minute match. I'm a skip. I'm not going to watch that, you know, but that's divorced from 
all the context of what's going on. But for people that are watching this and understand the feud, understand, understand the stretcher job, all the angles, all the uh, backstage, you know, commentary and even the stuff they're doing on social media. And then they see like the actual heat. This is the, this is the kind of heat that I'm here for. Not that Vince McMahon go away. <laughs> this I'm here for this Jerry Lawler, Jeff Jarrett, you know, Bill Dundee heat. This kind of shit. I love it. Um, this feels like you know something from the Mid South Coliseum or something on a Monday night. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's really great. Yeah, you can even see like the fans are just kind of in shock in the way that in, in the rage that Kojima and Tenzon are in. And, like these guys have been faces. They're part of Hontai. You know, the lovable New Japan dads and like a nerve has been struck with them. And it's like a completely different, you know, well, guys here. The last time I can remember a truly heated, significant dad feud was when Shibata was, you know, being disrespectful and going through the third generation during his never title reign back in like, what was that? 2015, 2016, something 20, like that. 2016. Um, the funny thing here is like, you know, so Tenzan in the last like two or three years has only had three singles matches. I went through cage match. I looked at Kojima. He hasn't had a singles win over someone in new Japan. That wasn't a lion since he beat Sonata in the like 2017 G one. Mm. So, I mean, it's been three or four years since the last time Tenzan and Kojima were truly actually relevant. Yeah. They've had, some you know they they throw him a bone here or there they throw him a tournament they throw him a uh, a showcase singles match here or there but like very rarely is there any true investment in what they're doing you know what I mean right. this is different like this is like you got these young upstarts these snot nosed you know kids who think they they know what the business is all about and you know daddy tends on and Kojima are gonna whip him into shape <laughs> and you know teach him a lesson like, take him to the learning bro, tree. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Like this is like uh, I I remember like growing up, horrendous match. But uh, I remember watching like the nineteen eighty seven um, Starcade, and like the whole time they're telling the story of like Dusty Rhodes is this old man, but he's gonna teach a lesson to this young Lex Luger, and like I always love that story, like the teacher and the and the student, and that's kind of what's happening here, and um, like. It's kind of funny in New Japan. It doesn't take much to get into like feud of the year territory <laughs> because <laughs> it's not that much. Uh, unless you have a series of really great matches, you can kind of bypass that by just having really great like you know uh, segments and that like already right now. This is my 2021 feud of the year. Yep. Is feud of the year? We can uh, <laughs> throw some of these downs for angle of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, and and we didn't get a lot of that last year. It was just tournament, tournament, tournament. And these guys are going out there and battering each other with chairs, and I love it. Yeah, this is awesome. And so we'll cover more of what happened there in the next two shows. Uh, well, but well, one thing too before we move on, this is something you brought up online was it was a brilliant idea to have the United Empire win by DQ. Yeah, because of the protection. Yeah, yeah, and so. Yeah, by DQ, you protect Kojima and Tenzon. They don't have to eat a loss. Obviously, you protect Okan and Osprey. You don't want them eating a loss. But at the same time, this feud's all about getting the Empire over. And so you, you put a win in the, in the win column for the Empire here. And so it's, it's, it just works out all around. I really enjoyed but you, it. You, you needed to find a way to make Tenzon and Kojima look strong after having you know been taken out at uh, 
New Year's Dash. So this was the perfect way to do that. It's like they're like, fuck these rules. We're going to take you out with these chairs. Hold right. this. It makes and, it look like a threat. Yeah, and they, they don't in, – in the they don't pick up a W or anything like that, but they pick up the moral victory. And they're right. the ones who are seen standing tall. So like it's just like – it's like this is the kind of Gato booking I like. Yeah, you, you <laughs> had the United Empire. Even though they won by DQ, they're kind of fleeing with their tails tucked between their legs and Tenkoji standing strong. Yeah, absolutely. So then we move on to the semi-main event. We have the uh, Josh Smith special here, the elimination match, pinfall, submission, DQ, over-the-top, rope, elimination. We had Golden Ace teaming up with Master Wato, Sho, and Tomioka Hanma to defeat the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, it was funny watching this. We we're like about a year out from the the U.S. New Beginning tours, literally like just about a year ago. Yeah, and um, we saw one of these matches here in uh, in St. Pete, uh, which ended with uh, Tanahashi being the sole survivor against the Bullet Club. And I was like, oh, this is feeling, uh, you know, kind of reminiscent, uh, which was pretty cool. But uh, I thought this match was. Very, very fun. I didn't think it was, like, the greatest elimination match they ever had. But it it told the story it needed to tell. And it told some stories that you didn't think you wanted, but you got anyways. And it was so enjoyable when it was all said and done. Yeah, obviously the, the big thing here, the final two, Naito and Hanma. We've been seeing these guys um, on the opposite sides for this whole you know road to the New Beginning tour. And a lot of questions, you know, what's going on with these two? And, you know, you would think that maybe it would come down to maybe Tanahashi and Shingo or Hiromu and Sho, Sonata and Bushi, these guys that have these big title feuds coming up. But they kind of got those guys out, and it came down to to Naito and Hanma. And Hanma Mania is running wild. Hanma eliminated Tetsuya Naito to get the win for the Huntai team. They did a really good job at the end, too, just, like, constantly teasing uh, you know, that Naito is going to get this goon out of here. And he just kept struggling to do it, struggling to do it. And I, I was sitting there watching this, and I was like, oh, my God. If if Hanma eliminates this man, I swear. And then when he finally did it and he was able to, uh, <laughs> you know, to get Naito out of the ring and over the top rope and everything, I was like and, – and everyone just went crazy. I was like, this is this is excellent. This is such an enjoyable show already, like, you know – uh, this is like New Beginning Junior, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, when it got down to Naito and Hanuma, I kind of looked at my phone for a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah, Naito's going to, you know, eliminate this geek pretty easily. You know, LIJ is going to get the win. And nope. then I, I look up, I keep seeing Hanuma fight back. I'm like, what is going on here? And then <laughs> <laughs> Hanuma eventually gets the elimination. And I, I, I tweeted out earlier making a joke because uh, Bushi had eliminated um, Bushi and Sonata. And I was like, well... Where's Bushi's double title match? But now Hanma uh, has eliminated one of the last double champions. Where, where's Hanma's double title match? I think I think you know. Nah, Cassidy, you, Cass- you, you don't you don't get a title shot for beating the man who used to be the man. You gotta beat. He, he's got to take out a Bushi, mm. like like Bushi did. Gotcha. Or he could go he could go after Bushi to get his number one spot. Right, we have a number of contenders with Bushi versus Hanma <laughs> at that castle attack. Does that not sound like some universe <laughs> mode shit? 
Yeah, that sounds like Fire Pro put random and it's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> we had a question from uh, w- WRPLA. They asked, hey, guys, it's been an age since I asked a question. I struggled to summon the strength to keep up with New Japan in the back half of last year with COVID running wild across the UK like Hanma Mania, making work crazy and the best forgotten summer of evil souring things for me. But I got back on board with Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm catching up on things with the help of New Japan World and running through all episodes of your show as I go. Nice. Speaking of Hanma, after the Ota Show elimination match and the great finish, are they actually going to do something with him and Naito? Will this be a first-round New Japan Cup match or something uh, for a small show before then? Or was this just being thrown a bone uh, you know, for a feel-good moment on a semi-prominent road to shows? These are the big issues. Naito super tranquilo about it in the post-match promo, literally saying the loss doesn't matter. I don't care about him. And then making fun of Hanma after the tag match the next two nights. Does he secretly fear the master of the Kokeshi? Thanks for the podcast. Yeah, glad to have uh, Reddit user WRPLA101 back listening. And uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, with, with Naito and Hanuma, it, it's, it seems very weird. You know, obviously Naito doesn't really have anything going on right now for a big feud. And, you know, why throw away a potential big money match if you're you're not ready for it or for a smaller show? So, you know, I think, you know, Castle Attack is Osaka Joe Hall. I'm, I'm assuming that there's probably going to be a lot of title matches on that show. So if you already have, so let's say, a double title match, a junior title match, Maybe a tag or never title match at the, at, the, at the top of the card You know the opening you could do like a Naito versus Hanma You know opening match second match on the Card if Naito's not going to be in anything Big and it's not like you're blowing A big match and you already have other big matches on The card that you can uh, Draw with and then you're, you're saving Naito for bigger feuds down the line Yeah I totally agree I, I think um it could go any which way. I know that's sort of a non-committal answer, but I mean, given the stature of who's involved here, I mean, it's it's you know Tomoaki Hanma. So I mean, there's not a lot of like uh, you know prerequisite that they have to like do anything in particular. I mean, I like some of these ideas. I, I'm not opposed to it being on the Castle Attack show. I'm not opposed to it being a first round New Japan Cup match. Although that seems like it might be too much of a gimme for uh naito unless <laughs> unless you want to tell a story where hanma has his number and you, you pull the shock upset that would be pretty that would definitely that, be something that'd be wild but um you know i don't think there's anything that's necessary for them to have any matches besides this like um this is one of the few things I feel like has been missing from New Japan in the last few years. You know, uh, a lot of people have been talking about what is or isn't New Japan, and people, you know, harken back to the, you know, the, the quality days of the Bullet Club and yada yada yada. But for me, it's some of these smaller things. You know, some of these like in between Road Two type of feuds that like they. It's, I'm not saying that they're throwaways, but they like enrich the lore of the product, you know, stuff like, uh, Yano and Suzuki, you know, Yano has Suzuki's number. It's just just sort of this like little insidery ongoing thing that like people that know, know about it, but people that don't know about it, they're like uh, looking on the inside from like, 
or from the outside being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's how I feel like Hanma and Naito is. And I would love for Hanma and Naito to maybe like every now and again, just lock it up for no fucking reason, except for like old country beef. You know, right. I love that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You'll see, you know, random LIJ versus Huntai just throughout the year. And if you've been watching, you would know like this whole kind of story that's been happening through the whole, the whole year. Uh, one thing though, uh, Hanma, er- these these nights are taking a toll on him like he's having trouble moving <laughs> yeah like he looked okay in this match but then the next night like ugh, rough <laughs> yeah by by the uh monday night show yeah he was uh walking pretty stiff there uh we you know it's, we got uh two more questions on this topic which is pretty funny it's a lot of people into this yeah so uh, Reddit user uh, Dundiesel86 says, I couldn't help but mark out when Hanuma hit that clothesline on Naitone over the top rope to get the win for his team. What do you guys think that moment meant to Hanuma? The look of joy on his teammates' faces led me to believe that it was special. Hanuma, <laughs> next double champ. I started laughing because I was reading ahead. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm all with this until he says Hanuma, next double champ. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think the... The whole thing with with Tomaki Hanma is I don't think they've done anything of any sort of real achievement for him at all since he returned from you know what should have been a paral- paralyzing injury. He never should have even come back to wrestling, and you know he he he's kind of been relegated. I mean, there's a time where like he wasn't even up to snuff to be in say tag league, right? You know, so I mean. He's had no title opportunity. He might have been in a six-man never, possibly, or something like that. But no title opportunities, no major feuds, nothing. I mean, I remember last year when he had that match with uh, Hiromu Takahashi. That I love that match. I thought it was like out of this world. Like for him, very good. I was I couldn't believe it. So for him to win a elimination match over the former double champion and the biggest star in the company, I mean, I think it's just sort of a little bit of an attaboy, you know. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about, you know, normally around this time we've been seeing retirements. You know, last year we saw Tiger Tori retire. We saw uh, Nakanishi retire. We see a lot of retirement shows around this time of the year. And, you know, I'm not saying Hanma's going to retire now, but it could be as one of the – we're seeing a lot of guys like Hanma, Tenzan, Kojima kind of getting some shine right now. you got to think of, you know, one of these guys are next up on, on the retirement list. Yeah, I agree. So uh, next question here from Kevin from D.C. He says, I believe that a Naito versus Hanuma special singles match would be at the very least entertaining and probably even good to great. We are very far removed from 2015 lovable loser Hanuma who can get with the likes of Katsuyori Shibata and Tomohiro Ishii. However, if the stars align, Hanuma Mania could certainly run wild on you, brothers. Now, if you could please piss all over this opinion, I'd greatly appreciate it. <laughs> um, I mean... Good to great is like, could it happen? Absolutely, but is it likely in a single scenario? I, I'm not so sure. I think this feud is greatly helped out by the fact that it is mostly tag teams and it is, you know, certain, you know, tried and true sequences that work for them. Um, and I think the main reason I feel that way is because they they kind of gave. Uh, the next night for the Monday show that gave Hanma a kind of prominent spot against Naito in one of the tag matches. And like, it was rough. So <laughs> I, I'm not too confident that they'd have a really good 
match, but I do agree. I think it'd be entertaining nonetheless. So. Right, and, and I think from a Naito Hanma match in 2021, nobody's looking to whip out the notebook and expect this to be anything out of this world. And so I think it'd be a great opening match for Castle Attack. One thing, though, you know, they, they brought up earlier um, Naito kind of being dismissive of Hanma. And it's like, on the one hand, I see where that might there might be a logic where you say that's problematic because you're like, well, he's, he's, you know, kind of shitting on the guy's victory and there's no heat for a rematch. But I don't know. There's a couple ways of thinking about that. On the one hand, it's like, well, he did only like throw him over the top rope. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he pinned him or submitted him. There is also the fact that like, it might be disingenuous for, uh, Naito to show any sort of actual agitation at it because I mean I guess he could put it over more but I mean it's not really his character and maybe and that's why like some some fans love Naito for that sort of like nuanced you know approach and then other people think it's lazy so I, I think it kind of depends on how you how you feel about that character's yeah. reaction of, uh, towards that sort of thing. And I mean, and we'll get to the other Rotu shows. I feel like he did have like some kind of reaction to Hanma and kind of got some comeuppance, so to speak, from the elimination. Yeah, and I think that that's the that's the reality. Is like with Naito, the Tranquilo thing is an act. It's not ever really his true face. It's sort of like a mask. And I know I'm getting into like the you know, sort of uh, speculative realm. But I mean, I think the stories have kind of shown us that very often he'll say one thing, but then outwardly, you know, things will bubble over and he's not as chill or calm as, you know, as his cool exterior, you know, leads you to believe. So, I mean, I don't know. Many of us are accustomed to like the Western side of things where like guys say exactly what they're going to do and how they feel and yada, yada, yada. And they go on long rants, but like, Naito's not usually like that. He's usually hiding what he really feels. So Tranquilo's a work. Tranquilo is a work. <laughs> Tranquilo's always been a fucking work. I think that I think that's the funny thing is like Tranquilo is a hundred percent like a grift. And <laughs> <laughs> bro, tell me Tranquilo's not a grift, bro. <laughs> All these years, Naito should have been a uh, candidate for Nestle of the Year in the One Nation Radio Awards. Bro, he is a grifter because he's selling these people a bill of goods about like, you know, this uh, sort of like, I don't know, I don't want to say culture, but like there's definitely like this like community based around him and and how he is. But like it's a work. That man is still, you know, the hurt stardust genius underneath it all. <laughs> and like and, <laughs> man just wants and, to be Tanahashi. Huh? The man just wants to be Tanahashi. Yeah, a man just really wants to be Tanahashi at the end of the day. Like, that's what this is all actually about. And these people are like, oh, man, he's so cool. He drags the titles around. Look at his look at his crazy hair. Look, he just lays down. He don't give a fuck. And he absolutely gives a fuck. He gives, like, the most fucks of anybody in the company. He's a grifter, bro. Oh, man, that is hilarious. <laughs> uh, so uh, we move on to the main event of this evening for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag team titles. We had the Bullet Club team of El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori defeating the Suzuki team of El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. We have a title change here. Main that, event of Road to New Beginning. That's why Evil didn't give a fuck about turn on that man. He knew this shit was a work. 
Uh, he's like, brothers, this is business, brother. It's only a matter of time before the rest of LIJ gets smartened up. They're, they've all, they're all smartened up, bro. It's a work. <laughs> oh, uh, they're not like Bullet Club where it's for life. Seriously. So, yeah, let's talk about this Bullet Club. I mean, I mean, Ken, Ken, Kenny's over another company representing still. Hey, it is. <laughs> I, I got a, something on the news about, you know, <laughs> Kenny and, oh. and, the, and the Bullet Club uh, shirt he was wearing. But uh, I haven't I haven't even looked at that far. I'm just <laughs> kind of messing around. But yes, uh, I would like to say so. Jeremy was you know live tweeting as he's watching stuff and uh, you know people responding to it yada yada. But then uh, I formulated my own tweet and one uh, Sir E L P happened to like that tweet. So I feel like I won, you know, Twitter for the day. <laughs> Yeah, getting put over by now one of the the new one half of the junior tag team champs here in a pretty much a, a cheat fest, a, a heel fest, whatever you want to call it here with these two dashly heel teams um, trying to utilize their their heel tactics here to out heel one another to get the win here. Very interesting. This match um, for me, I really, really, really really enjoyed this match um i mean i don't want to put it over too much like but i just thought it was really really entertaining we you know there's a lot of we talk about it uh we talked about this last year where new japan has a lot of really great tag matches but they always have pretty bad tag team divisions and you know so with them having such good tag team work it's not very often throughout the year that any independent match sticks out in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, because they all kind of, they are somewhat formulaic and it's a good formula. I enjoy it. I watch it obviously, but you know, I, by the time a tag league's over, I mean, there's one or two matches that stick out. The rest of them are kind of, <laughs> you know, all rolling into one. This is a match that I'm not going to forget anytime soon because there was so much cheating and there was three ref bumps. And I know that there have been complaints about this sort of thing happening in New Japan too often. Mm-hmm. But, like, it became so abundant in the match that, like, it, to me it actually became smart. Like, they, they like, I saw it and I was like, oh. And then they did it again. I was like, oh, that's weird. They don't usually do it twice. And then they did it a third time and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and I was like, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I know a lot of our listeners are probably going to be like, well, they hated the evil stuff and interference and run-ins, but... Oh, this is I, so much better than anything evil's done. Yeah, I, I thought the work in between the cheating was good. And this, this is not the IWGP heavyweight title. It's not your top title. It's not, right. the, it's not the main event of a Dominion or a big show. This is the main event of a road to show for the junior it's tag team it's- titles um, that get flipped hot potato throughout the year anyway. Uh I'm just laughing because, like, I didn't think of that, but, like, I haven't really been online paying attention to what people are saying. Like, I didn't know if there's any sort of outrage, but now you're saying it. I could see that, and I'm like, it's a road to new beginning show for the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. (laughs) Right. Your your, your top stars are not, you know, there's no Okada, Naito in in this matchup here. It's Desperado, Kanemaru, ELP, and Taiji Ishimori. The other thing, too, is it makes sense in this in in the context that these are two very heel tag teams like right like like i know that um 
you know, Desperado has a lot of goodwill coming out of Super Juniors, and people are, you know, really hoping that they go with him in a major way this, you know, these next couple years, which may or may not happen. But, like, there's nothing that's shown that he is, you know, he might have some quote-unquote honor. He might have showed some honor in that Hiromu match, but he's still a bastard. Right. (laughs) He's a despicable heel bastard, just like the rest of uh, Suzuki-Goon. And it was two teams trying to out, you know, bastard each other and just like show which one is the better dick tag team. And um, they were trying to take advantage. They're both being, you know, opportunists taking advantage of the situation presented to them. And it it was just really good. I mean, we've kind of seen this formula between these two teams in the past, but they outdid themselves. And I, I thought the ref bumps were done well. I thought all the, you know, cheating was just done really well and the suspense was really built up and it got to a point where like I started biting on all the, the near falls and that's something that's a hallmark of a good, you know, wrestling match. And so I, I just, I was really engrossed with this one. Yeah. And also they did a great job of building up ELP's loaded booth, the, the sudden death super kick. That's been a story going into this matchup and these guys trying to take the boot off in the match and trying to, Prove that his his boot is loaded, um, so that played into a big part of the match. You know, the first ref bump, um, Red Shoes gets the sudden death into the chest. Um, he has to be carried off. He's in so much pain. Um, then, then you got uh, Marty Asami running out. He's trying to officiate the match. He gets pulled out. Um, and then later on, he gets sudden death right to the face. He sells it perfectly. He's out cold. Uh, they have to young lines have to get Marty Asami out of there. And then. You know, the only ref is left is Kento Sato. He runs out there um, to finish off the match here. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of ref bumps, a lot of belt shots. Um, Kanemaru trying to use the whiskey bottle. Um, and then towards the end here, we got, we had the, the Eddie Guerrero spot here of uh, yes. Kanemaru throwing the belt to ELP. Um, acting like he's knocked out. Kento Sato's about to, you know, call for the DQ. And then ELP gets rolled up. I thought that was going to be the finish there. Yeah, they they teased that, and it looked like you said it looked like he was going to call for the bell, but then um, ELP was trying to stop him, and Kanemaru like didn't let them you know play that out. He just went for the roll up, and so the momentum of the match just kind of continued instead. Um, one thing with this, I just felt like this show. I'm here for this Southern Territory style booking Gato show, you know, mm-hmm. like between. This match, the Empire and and Tenkoji feud, and then the stuff that he's got going with with the other guys, like, bro, this is this is my cup of tea. Like, this is like a, a straight throwback to 1980s wrestling. And I'm gonna say right now, I know it's gonna get knocked off the list, but this is going on my show of the year contenders list right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, no, no cap though. It probably is one of the better road two shows that I can remember in a very long time. Yeah, very yeah, top to bottom, very entertaining. A lot of meaningful, impactful stuff that happens here. Uh, yeah, towards the end of this match, Kanemaru he goes for deep impact, gets caught with the punch of the dick, and then the sudden death super kick. One, two, three. We have new junior tag team champions, ELP, and the Bone Soldier, Taiji Ishimori. Yeah, ELP gets on the mic and, you know, comp- tells everyone, 
you know, it's not his fault that you're used to seeing 16 or more super kicks. All those guys don't know how to kick right. <laughs> he, he said he's an, an elite athlete. He's an elite. Yeah, he's an elite athlete. He's been out there in the tundra, kicking all the trees, perfecting his technique. And then he was like, I'm going to be remembered as one of, I think he started to list the four pillars. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, Mizawa. <laughs> and then he couldn't remember. And he's Kobashi. like, and then he couldn't remember. No, I'm sorry. He said Mizawa Kawada. And then he couldn't remember Kobashi or, or, Tawe. Uh, uh, Tawe. So then he's like, Kenta. <laughs> Shibata. <laughs> <laughs> Which arguably, I mean, they might be, they might actually be better strikers than Tawe and uh, Kobashi, anyways. But yeah, and then he was like, "I'm going to be remembered in that classification as an elite striker," which is just a major troll job. Like, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I'm here for this ELP loaded boot and him fucking trolling, you know, AEW diehards and fanboys, and also at the same time trolling like the Puro elitists who like. You know, and and also just trolling everybody. Like literally, uh, it's it's like so fucking meta. Like he's trying to troll everybody at the same time. Yeah, like there's it's not one audience that he's missing out. He's literally trying to hit every audience with his troll job here. <laughs> I, I might not always love his work, but I, this character work is a plus top notch shit. Yeah, uh, we had some questions here uh, from EMJ does PR one and uh, Rainbow same thing, ask the same thing. They want to know what do you think is an ELP's boot. Uh, EMJ does PR says his guess is a good old can of Canadian whoop ass. I'm just guessing it's a straight up titanium alloy metal, <laughs> <laughs> something something he forged and fashioned and you know outfitted into his boot. Yeah, I mean, has to be. Or maybe he's just telling the truth. I mean, he did pull off the boot in one of the backstage promos. Oh my God! What if it's not in his boot? What if it's in his foot, like Wolverine? Like he he got like <laughs> adamantium. Put... <laughs> yeah, that's why when they pull off the boot, they don't find shit. It's like when uh, Lex Luger had the had the steel plate in his forearm. Yeah. You remember that yes. shit? <laughs> so, remember how ridiculous, bro? How ridiculous was that storyline? He had a metal plate in his arm, and he was bashing it. Then I always, I always wanted them to bring that back up in like WCW, and they'd mention that he had like a motorcycle accident, but he wasn't putting, you know, folks away right. with a fucking metal arm. Yeah, so may- maybe ELP, he was trying to kick super tree, super kick trees <laughs> in Canada, broke his foot, and then got the, you know, the metal put in the foot, and realized it's going to work out. It's the greatest work ever. Yeah, that's why. That's why. Like he could have been. I'm sure that there were some Canadian indies, you know, operating out there. This man could have been, you know, doing spot shows and working and shit. But he broke his foot, and he had to, you know, get a metal a metal plate put in his foot. That's what it really is. He's got metal <laughs> in his bones. Uh, oh my god. Uh, Rainbow and Slam pick ass. He says the uh, January twenty third twenty third show felt pretty special for a road to. Do you think the junior tag titles, the six-man titles, and similar low-level belts should make more frequent appearances on roti shows, or does that devalue them? No, I think it elevates the value of them because you're putting butts in seats and drawing and making stars. I don't see how that would devalue them in any way. Yeah, I think that's also you know, getting just 
eyes on road to shows, you know, for like the gentleman you mentioned that you were talking to, for people like that, they're like, do I have to watch this road to show? Well, if there's no title matches, it's like, well, it's usually the same card over and over again, three shows in a row, but it's like, oh, third show, there's going to be, you know, a junior tag title match. Oh, there's going to be a, a never six man title match. Oh, there's going to be, you know, X, XYZ, a US title match or whatever, you know. It brings some eyes, sparks interest, and you know it's going to be a little bit different of a show. Yeah, uh, 100% agreed. So, uh, next question from Reddit user Diesel 86 says, El Fantasmo joining Kevin Kelly on commentary has been a real treat. Over the years, are there any other guys who have jumped on commentary and brought a little something extra to the show? Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. I think most of the guys that jump on commentary are not very good, but they might be funny or you know add like a little spark um juice is one guy that is always like pretty entertaining when he's on there um Fale was funny just because he was so terrible <laughs> yeah like he was so bad at it um who else has been on there i mean like i, uh, I david, feel like david, chucky t was on a lot yeah chucky, i like chucky t when he was on there uh david finley's been on there been dave, dave finley's not good but he's <laughs> like but the thing is like they don't have to be good because they're they're just wrestlers filling in, yeah. And they kind of like add to the like story, yeah. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. ELP joined for commentary a couple of these nights here, and I really enjoyed him uh, with Kevin. Yeah, I thought I thought he's been really funny, especially like during some of the like Empire stuff. I thought he was really like stand out. Yeah. Uh, then the last question here from uh, Reddit user PSAN91 says, I loved ELP on commentary and thought he did a great job filling the void. Someone like Gino has left. I laughed so hard when ELP left to do commentary while the match was still going on. He didn't get back in time to break up submission. The guy I had locked in on Gato. <laughs> I also felt it must have been nice for Kevin as I felt kind of sad for him having to call shows by himself. Don't get me wrong. He's a fantastic play-by-play guy, probably one of the best in the business, but I think he works best when playing off someone else and coaching them. My question related to this is, which current members of the roster would you like to see join Kevin on English commentary? I, for one, like to see Juice, as I think he would bring a lot of energy to it. Um, I, I don't know that there's anyone in particular that I like am super keen to see be on commentary personally. I mean, most of them I just rather watch them wrestle. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's not really like a ton of babyface guy. Oh, I guess it hasn't to be a face because the LP was on there. But even still, I mean, I guess you could throw Osprey on there um, to stir up some controversy. Um, well, not like I'm dying to hear that. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anybody that really stands out. I mean, like Juice, Juice is fun and it's great to have on there. Yeah, I mean. Uh Maybe John Moxley. <laughs> that might be funny. I don't know. I'm I'm not like super invested in in any particular person being on commentary or anything like that. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, it was funny uh, what happened. You know what he was mentioning there with uh, you know Gato and Nagata. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> So let's move on to the next show that happened on January 24th. Opened up with the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, El Esperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru defeating the team of Tiger Mask, Togi Makabe, 
Yuji Nagata and Yuya Yomura. So kind of shifting away here a little bit from the, the Bullet Club, Bullet Club Suzuki Gun rivalry and Suzuki Gun taking on Huntai here. That's the only real like thing of note, uh, aside from the fact that like, you know, Makabe and Tiger Mask kind of getting uh, a bit more of a, a shine on them. But I mean, yeah, they're shifting away from Suzuki Goon facing Bullet Club at this point. Yeah. So then we move on to the second match of the night. We have Tenkoji and the United Empire fighting to a no contest. Uh, this is another great uh, segment here in this rivalry. Something I loved was uh, Great Okan coming out without the entrance gear. Like, it's not time. He's ready to run it. Yeah, not time for the gear, not time to do his pose. Um, he's pissed what happened the night before, and he's ready, ready to go. Okan, no flex zone. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, these guys just had a, a, a wild brawl all, all around the ring. Uh, it, it's kind of reminiscent. In some regards to like the Tupelo concession brawls from like the 80s that are like very famous. I mean, this is straight up. I mean, this is Mid-South stuff. I mean, we, we get brawls like this, you know, obviously, but they're very controlled. They're very contained, you know. And when I mention that, you know, you're probably thinking of like the Suzuki Goon style brawls. That's not what this is. This is a lot more hate filled, a lot more heat filled. Crowds are responding to him, even even clap crowds. I mean, they're doing a good job here. Yeah, this this was great. I, I love this, and um, gets to the point where Osprey and O'Connor just throwing in a bunch of chairs in the ring. One that actually hits Tenzon as, as Osprey threw it in. Um, but yeah, they're, they're stacking the ring with chairs, and then O'Connor's getting ready to hit the Eliminator, but Kojima makes a save with Lariat, and they able to fend off Osprey and O'Connor. Um, I'm just kind of leaving things there. Kind of stand it's, inter- it's interesting how when we watched New Beginning and we talked about, you know, what was next for them, I really just thought them beating up, you know, Tenkoji was kind of just like a you're in our way, you know, fuck. Basically what Suzuki does to Young Lions all the time, you know. Right. Like, I'm angry, you're there, get out of my way, and then that's it. I, I – Never thought that they were going to transition into this. And, I mean, if you listen to the shows, it's like one week I'm like, oh, they beat up a lion and two dads. And the next week I'm like, oh, man, they're kind of they're kind of doing something with this. And then now we're here and we're like, feud of the year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is this is really ramped up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, loving this feud here. Um, so then next we had Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro defeating Goto, Okada, and Yoshihashi. So again, no really developments there. Just continuing tease evil versus Okada. Then in the semi-main event, we had Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito defeating Sho and Hanma. I believe this is a match you were talking about where Hanma kind of got that that you know time to shine there with Naito in the semi-main. I mean, uh, this one, and then even Monday night, he also got some time in another tag match. I think it was. Yeah, that was the semi-main event also. Um, both times, I just feel like after that first night with the 10-man tag, like, he's just looking rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Naito ends up getting the win here with the, his little roll-through pin thing that he does sometimes. Um, yeah, pin, pin. Well, 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 he has to because I don't think that he can give a Destino to Hanma. No, he, he did on one of the Road 2 shows last week, and it was rough. 
<laughs> so I think he's like, yeah, we're, we're not doing that, pal. I'm just going to keep rolling you up. Yeah, and and when I say that, I don't even mean specifically from like a, a, a standpoint of like, oh, it's devastating for his neck because, I mean, realistically, it's not that bad. It, it is a, it's a flat back bump. Um, but, I mean, just the fact that he's got a, you know, all the mechanic parts of what go along with that mat with that move and him, you know, hoisting him and, and basing for Naito. It, it, I just can't see that being a, a fluid, safe thing for him at the stage of his career. Yeah. So, yeah, so Naito gets to win here via roll up, uh, gets a little bit of revenge from uh, getting eliminated the night before in the elimination match. And also, we had yep. a, a lot of shenanigans throughout this tour with uh, Naito and Hiromu that we normally get with those guys. It's kind of playing around and being goofy with each other also. Yeah, they're kind of teasing that uh, Naito is sort of uh, jealous of Hiromu's junior title. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. means, are, are, is that a tease? We're going to see this man drop some, some, you know, some weight? Yeah. Who knows, maybe. Go, go down some kilos, go down some stones. Maybe that's you why know. he's not in a program right now. He has to, you know, lose all his weight so he can find, you know, get ready to set up the Hiromu match. Yeah, they they should do a they should do a program where like he claims he's a, a cruiserweight, but he's not, and then they keep weighing him and shit. <laughs> Little uh, Nova Sage Scott action. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking more like uh, what was his face? Hardcore uh, or Crash Holly? Think he's a heavyweight. Cra- no, nah, who was the who was the one dude? Uh, God, he was like dating Aaliyah just recently. He was he was oh, uh, um, Buddy, Buddy Murphy. Yeah, remember Buddy Murphy had that gimmick? Like he was like the cruiserweight champion, but he had to like weigh in every single time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They should uh, send send Naito back down to junior. <laughs> uh, Bring some prestige. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> Now I know there's people that are like, man, they're really anti-Naito this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next matchup here uh, for the where am I? Lost, lost my spot here. We got it. We got Golden Ace and Master Wato defeating the Lij team of Bushi, Sonata, and Shingo. Yeah. So our uh, big uh, main event here with the Hontai team getting the win over the Lij team, just continuing to. Uh, tease out the feuds there with uh, Tanahashi and Shingo and Ibushi and Sonata and Wato and Bushi. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have much to really add here. Um, I thought the match was fine. Um, they're pretty much, you know, obviously, they're just telling the stories that are here. Um, Tanahashi and Sonata, or I'm sorry, Ta- Tanahashi and Shingo, Kota Bushi and Sonata, and then, you know, the lower level feud of Wato and Bushi just kind of continuing on. Yeah. Um, We've seen good work out of, you know, all three of these pairs all throughout the tour. Yeah, Wato did have a slip up here in this match where he was going to uh, make the save. Uh, her uh, Tanahashi had somebody in the clover leaf, and Shingo was trying to fight them off, fight Tanahashi off the clover leaf, and then he was going to do the springboard, and he slipped. Kind of a not so great moment there for Wato. But yeah, so but besides that, I think he's he's looked fine. Yeah, and and like I said, I don't really have much to add to this. I I thought the match was fine. I thought it was my least invested out of all the main events. This was, to me, your typical 
you know, road to main event. And I thought it was good. I mean, but there, there wasn't a lot of development here. Yeah. So then we had a question from Kevin from DC it says the three person air guitar date d- debate. You probably knew it was coming at the conclusion of one of the shows over the weekend. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi and Master Wato took part in a three person air guitar frenzy. My first question of the week is if Tanahashi represents the Eddie Van Halen of the group and Ibushi is a Jimmy Page of the group, who is Master Watto's electric guitar avatar? I'd probably lead towards Nihilus Lofgren or Danny Thomas, both from Crazy Horse, Neil Young's backing band from the 70s. Very young, very understanded, with a whole lot of time to get better. Unless Watto overdoses or something. <laughs> um, I don't know. Man. I mean, you're, 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 you're the music guy on this show. You, you, play, you play the guitar. I mean, I do, but, like, I've never thought to myself, like, watch, I, when he's like, you knew this was coming, no, I had no idea. I don't don't know who he (laughs) would have been. Um, I mean, like, I I feel like he had more insight than, um, than I would have, like, with, with, like, the Nils or, you know, Danny Thomas, like. You know, sure. I mean, that I, I think that I think he answered his own question. Um, I don't really have a, a like to me. I would never be like, oh, man, Abushi, He's definitely Jimmy Page. <laughs> <laughs> Tanahashi's Eddie Van Halen. I mean, I kind of get what he's saying. Um, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I think the best part about their their little air guitar thing was Abushi trying to air guitar with both titles still on his shoulders. <laughs> and he's like struggling trying to air guitar and hold both titles up. I'm just like, why don't you put the belts down? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, to me, like, you know, most of the guitar players that I know from that era are going to be, you know, your big names, your Hendrixes, Clapton, stuff like that. Uh, Dwayne Allman and like I just wouldn't call Watto any of those guys so I think he I think he did a good job given you know pretty pretty solid answers there yeah so the last row two show here we have January 25th opened up with Tiger Mask, Togi Makabe, Yota Suji and Yuji Nagata defeating the Bull Club team of ELP, Gato, Jado and Taiji Ishimori this was the match where ELP left in the middle of the match to do, go to do commentary and then Nagata ends up getting Gato and the Nagata lock, and he uh, failed to make it in time to make the save for the team. But yeah, no really big story developments here. Just Gato continuing to look depressed uh, without his, you know his switchblade there with him. Mm-hmm. And then we move on to the second match. We have Tenkoji against the United Empire ends again in a wild brawl, no contest. Yeah, pretty much uh, a lot of the same things that we've said already. But the the big you know surprise that came out of this, um, once the match was over and the two heated groups were separated, uh, uh, Will Osprey got on the mic and called for a no DQ match between himself and Kojima, which is pretty much where this feud had been leading, anyways. Right, and then uh, with the translations, we hear it uh, pretty much with uh, Hot, or not Hot, excuse me, um, Okan and Tenzon. Their whole stipulation is going to be loser can't do the Mongolian chop. 
which makes all the sense in the world, um, given the fact that most of these brawls, when they've been fighting one another, they've been Mongolian chopping the shit out of each other. So it's yeah, like, that that's been great. I forgot to mention that throughout these matches. Yeah, the Mongolian chop offs these guys have been having. Yeah, and it's like it's it's not like usually you know, and in, in, like in the past when they wrestled, it'd be. One guy chops, another guy chops. This has been different. Both these guys are both trying to chop at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like so it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, um, and the one other different thing about this uh, no contest, we had B Priestley showing up and giving low blows. Yeah, the worst looking low blows to uh, Tenzan and Kojima for uh, Osprey <laughs> and Okan to get the advantage. Yeah, she she went to go. Th- those were what you call respectful low blows. Like she's like, I don't want to fuck up like at all. But she's on the hard cam, so like you know, by not doing it strong looking, you're still fucking up. But she didn't want to hurt them, so she like she like just grabbed their thighs, (laughs) (laughs) which is what which technically is what you really do. Like that's what a real low blow actually is, but or you know a worked low blow. But she just she didn't like. I mean, she telegraphed it so much that you're like, why she why she, you know, giving these guys forearms (laughs) into the into the fucking thigh that's weird <laughs> so that uh after that we had uh chaos goto okada and ishii defeating dick togo evil and yuru takahashi again just continuing to uh build up that i also gotta wonder if we're gonna see like dick togo yujiro and somebody else from bullet club challenge goto ishii and yoshihashi for the never six man titles I mean, they've got no grounds. They've been losing every match. Uh, well, they, they, they won the one on the uh, the previous night. Yeah, for almost the whole tour. Yeah, for most of them they have lost, but I don't know. I'm just trying to see what else could come from that, since these guys are always... And then after that, the semi-main event, Bushi Naito against Wato and Honma, uh, echoing the sentiments I had earlier, just, you know, um, Naito and, and Honma... You know, again, an enjoyable feud, but Hanma sort of, you know, looking the worst for wear. Uh, but this match ended when Naito did the roll up once again, and then held on to the roll up <laughs> yeah. for an extended period of time. And Suji had to like try to come and fight him off, like, and it was it was a whole big spectacle at the end. Yeah, he held him down for a twenty five count, and he, yeah. he he made sure to tell uh, Kevin Kelly that in Spanish, you know, venti cinco. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, like, yeah, he beat this man. Like that—that's some big brother shit. Embarrass that man. Yeah, like you know, you're wrestling with your big cousin or your big brother, you know, older kid. And they hold you down one, two, three, and you're like, all right, well, they're gonna let me up now because they beat me, and I can. It's over. Like, it, but then they they keep holding <laughs> yeah. you down, like four, five, <laughs> six, and you and you can't kick out. Right. So now you're so now you're really embarrassed. That's what that's what Naito did to this man. Yeah, just totally like like we said earlier. Like, Disrespect. This, that man was really heated about getting tossed over by Hanma and had, had he, this... he, <laughs> he told Hanma he's like disrespect of my grift will not be tolerated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. Now let me show you how chill I am by <laughs> freaking out and holding you down for twenty five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> And then he looked around and everyone's like, huh? And then he like, and then he put his fist in the sky and pose. Yeah. <laughs> Super chill. 
Then uh, main event here, we had Golden Ace teaming up with Sho against the LIJ team of Hiromu, Sonata, and Shingo. And these boys went to a 30-minute time limit draw. Kind of rare that we see these uh, time limit draws, especially, you know, 30 minutes in the main event of a Road 2 show with these these top guys here. And I thought it was a great finish, especially with all these guys kind of building into big matches. You don't really want to be pinning a lot of these guys. Um, leading into their big matches, so that was a, kind of a great way there to get out of pinning any, any one of these guys. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if we did an exact like uh, you know specific thing where we said this is what's going to happen, but I mean, I remember looking at this thinking like, who is going to take that loss? And I kind of thought, unfortunately, it'll be probably show, but then. I was, but then I was like, that doesn't make sense. And I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe we're at the point where, you know, they're going to put over someone like Sonata gets a big win over Bushi or Tanahashi pins, you know, Shingo, something really, really big like that. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. But them going to the 30 minute draw makes all the sense in the world. And that's why I was like, oh, okay. Duh. I wish, I wish I would have thought of this or seen it because. No one can really afford to eat the pinfall in this match. So, I mean, that's the way you get out of it. Yeah, and the finish was great there with uh, Shingo and Tanahashi, the last two guys at the end. They're just trading big moves and just frantically trying to get the pinfall on one another. Um, you know, Tanahashi uh, hits a sling blade, um, but then uh, Shingo's able to end up hitting a pumping bomber and get a, a near fall on Tanahashi. And Tanahashi kicks out at two, and then the bell rings. So, it's kind of a great finish here. These guys just kind of put each other away. Um, and then post-match, we had uh, Tanahashi confessing his love for uh, Shingo, telling how much he loves him and how awesome he is. I think, and uh, I could be wrong here, I'm not a Dragon Gate aficionado like others are, but I believe this is a callback to like BB Hulk and a storyline between him and Shingo from way back. Mm, did uh, BB Hulk, Hulk reveal his love for Shingo? I think he's quoting him verbatim, if, I, if I'm if i understanding correctly. I don't know where I saw that, or it, it feels like one of those things that, you know how I am, I just know things, but like yeah. I, I don't know, because I don't know enough about Dragon Gate to give the specifics, but I think that that's what's happening there. Yeah, then uh, yeah, Shingo had a post-match promo. He's like, yeah, Tanahashi finally, you know, uh, availed his love for me. He's like, but he's just trying to get in my head. I'm not falling for it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's how he's trying to get in his head is, you know, alluding back to, you know, his former past with his partner and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a funny little <laughs> ending there. Even if even if that's not what it is, I could be wrong. Um even if it's just, you know, Tanahashi being witty, either way. Or even if you didn't know that aspect of it, it still works on different levels. Yeah. And we had a question here from Kevin from D.C. He says, can either of you recall a multi-man match that went to 30-minute or 60-minute draw in recent times? Obviously, the 60 draw has occurred in title matches like Okada Omega from Dominion 2017, and 30-minute draws occur regularly during the G1 just curious if you can recall a tag match time limit draw in recent memory. I know the double countout was a big deal of tag matches, but I can't for the life of me think of many tag matches that went to the time limit draw. It certainly it certainly was a unique way to finish off the Huntai 
versus LIJ six man match from the twenty fifth? Um, someone else, uh, someone talked about this like recently online, but I cannot remember who it was. Like they I, had the stat on this. I think Chris Sampsa uh, has stat about it. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, I I can't think of it though. To be honest with you. Yeah, let me see if I could um, pull up his uh, Twitter here real quick and see if I could find that stat that he put out there. Yeah, in the meantime, while you're kind of looking there, um, I, I, mean, I found it. Um, okay. So he says the last time an NJPW six-man tag match went to a 30-minute draw was on February 11, 2009, when Tanahashi, Tiger Mask, and Yuji Nagata Went against Liger, Goto, and Nakamura. Yeah, and that is pretty far back, even for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like i I don't even I don't even know what that match even is. You know, I've never seen it, so it, it's been a it's been a really long time, which just shows you how kind of historic this booking and this match was. I really liked at the end when they were at the end of the thirty minutes, all just kind of like cutting their promos, just sitting down in the ring, just sort of like putting over the exhaustion. Um, now, for the match itself, I don't feel like I need to break down the whole thing, but I thought that this was just your standard New Japan-style tag team match, but done very well. Um, I, I've i actually seen people kind of praising this a bit more than maybe I have for it. Like I wouldn't even necessarily go for stars on it, I, but I thought it was very good for what it was. I don't know. I'd probably like. I'd probably be like in that three and a half range, maybe a little bit above that. Yeah, like three and a half, maybe maybe three point seven five. I, I wouldn't go quite four, but it was really good for this main event. Also, you, you got right uh, six great workers in here. Uh, also, working very smart as well. Not not trying to kill each other before you know, their big matches and told some great stories there were some great sequences some great chemistry between all the different opponents and yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to uh sanat or excuse me uh shingo and tanahashi come this saturday well you know the one thing with, with me mentioning that this was a formulaic match well what's that what one of the biggest parts of that formula is hot closing sequences which new japan does maybe better than anybody else when it comes to tag team matches and so, I mean, they, they had a killer closing sequence for everybody. And then plus with the fact that the, the clock was coming down and you sort of knew what they were alluding to and, and kind of going for and kind of wondering, like, are they really going to do a draw? Because they don't do these very often, these situations. Uh, you know, so there's high drama at the very end. And that that picked up the match quite a bit. Uh, as far as, like, a preview for these three big matches going forward i thought this was an excellent preview match for all three uh feuds and you know the, the biggest focal point at the end there was tanahashi and shingo which is you know the match coming up on saturday so i thought it was just really 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 well done i i think they've done a lot of good stuff on this tour yeah these, these last uh three row two shows were a lot of fun really like all the angles and this the way they're building stuff up i love Shingo and Tanahashi in the ring together. It's magic. Their match on Saturday is going to be absolutely incredible. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. But yeah, speaking of Saturday, let's get into the new beginning in Nagoya. Let's give our... Our preview, our official predictions here. Fans have been asking us the last couple of weeks our predictions on some of these matches. Well, here are our official predictions that we'll, we'll give here. So, we'll start with the opening matchup here. We have Toriano and Kazuchika Okada taking on Yuro Takahashi and Evil. Uh, this one, to me, is not that important. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to kind of go with the trend and just say Okada and Yano. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Kata and Yano as well. You, uh, Yano pinning Yujiro. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot. It's, and This is kind of one of those things when we talk about them breaking up these big shows on these cards. Uh, you know, I guess it's fine, but then you wind up with some of these matches that may or may not make sense, or they're kind of like semi-quasi-preview matches. So, um, you know, the Okada evil feud kind of continuing but uh, I, I'm just assuming Yujiro is going to get pinned by Yano or Okada, basically. Yeah. So in the second match of the night, we have Master Wato, Sho, Hanma, and Kota Ibushi against Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, Tetsuya Naito, and Sanada. Um, I will go with the LIJ side here just because I think, you know, Hanma is there ripe for the picking, basically. Yeah, Hanma does a like the I'll see the ultimate pin eater here in this situation. Um so yeah, I'm with you I'm gonna go L I J. Like if I was in a bully mindset like Tetsuya Naito, that's my target. So <laughs> go for the weak link. Uh, uh then third match of the night. Luther must stop using the Mongolian chop. Hiroshi Tenzon versus the great Okan. So interesting stipulation. Um in our group chat, we actually had some uh, discussion the other day where people kind of heard that uh, stipulation. They're like, that's stupid. And I could see why some people might not like this because how can you stop someone from using it? it it's sort of like, remember when we had the no lariat match earlier this year? Yeah. And it was like, well, how are you going to stop them? You know? and, then, and then I guess it's like, well, if they do it, they get DQ'd. So let's say hypothetically Okan loses, right? He's not allowed to Mongolian chop. Does that result in an automatic de- disqualification <laughs> for Okan for all matches? Is it, is it a banned move strictly for him going forward? Like, you know, if, if he wants to get monster heat, you know, he does a Mongolian chop behind the referee's back 
because he should be getting DQ'd for it and he's not allowed to do it, but he actually, you know, like, is that how it's going to work? Or is it just like, these guys are just so honorable that they're going to honor the, the stipulation moving forward and not use it anymore if they lose. I mean, I think it could be either or. I, I feel like it it would be a situation, yeah, if whoever loses goes to a Mongolian chop in a future match that they would get DQ'd. I don't think so. I don't think they put that much thought into it. I don't think they're going to DQ. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think if, let's say Tenzon loses, right? And two years goes by, right? And I think he's probably going to retire sooner than that. But let's just say it's his retirement match a year and a half from now. You really tell me this dude's not going to bust out a, you know, he's not going <laughs> to <laughs> and chop and chop a bitch. Like, come on. Um, I, I think it's just sort of like a gentleman's gentleman's agreement, you know, yeah. going forward. I don't think the, the, the company is going to put any kind of enforcement behind this at all, uh, which is what makes it funny. But from a storyline perspective, I think this is actually great because – I'm fully expecting Great Ocon to win. And the deal here, Tenzon's the only person in the company that's really been doing Mongolian chops for all these years. I mean, the only other person I could think of going pretty far back that did him was like uh, uh, Killer Khan, you know? So he's sort of been the Mongolian chop guy. And then suddenly this this young dude shows up, all disrespectful, throwing Mongolian chops, screaming, acting a fool, and it's like someone's chop has to go. And obviously I think it's going to be Tenzon because I think he's not long for this uh, you know, professional wrestling world. And there's, I think it works on a few levels. On the one hand, oh, when Ocon takes it away from him, going forward, I, Tenzon can't do it. So it's sort of like that, that little wrinkle in his game is gone. And then on the opposite side, every time Ocon does do it, He'll get heat because he stole it from Tenzon, and people loved Tenzon when he used to do it. But at the same time, it's sort of a, a little wink and a little nudge because it's also a homage to him. And when he's gone, he'll be carrying on the legacy of him. And if and if Okan ever does go face in the future, he's kind of carrying on that that you know little bit of that legacy and kind of keeping Tenzon involved in the mythos. So like, I think it's really smart. I also kind of came up with that alternative uh idea just now while we were discussing i hadn't thought about it but like what if okan does lose i'm not saying he will i think it's unlikely but what if he loses somehow and then has to use the mongolian chops as a divisive heel tactic yeah that, that would work you would get a ton of heat because yeah then the fans know that he's not supposed to do it and so you know, be and, pre- and he can only do it like when the, when the ref's not looking, and he doesn't even have to grab like you know a whiskey bottle or spray mist or any shit like that or punch a dick. Like all he's got to do is chop a bitch. Right, you get a B Priestley distract the ref, and then he does this you know crazy scream, hits a chop. Well, he wouldn't be able to scream though. Well, I guess he could, and that maybe that'd be the giveaway. It's hard to like. What about that part of it? Well, maybe he starts screaming with other moves too. So it's like I'll, I'll, <laughs> I I just I just hit a lariat. I want I scream with my lariats now. <laughs> But yeah. I've seen people um, – you know, it's funny. Like what's the deal with uh, one of the guys from Private Party Screams, right? Is it Mark Quinn? Yeah. Do, I haven't – I've heard people talk about it, but I haven't actually witnessed it. I don't know. Actually, Maybe I, think I'm it's, I think it might be Cass, Isaiah Cassidy does it actually. 
d- does he do like a what is his scream that people keep talking about? He has like a high pitch like squeal, like, like Tamatanga. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, because I've I've seen people being like that gets go away heat with me. I don't like it, and I'm like, well, Tamatanga does that shit, and you know, uh, Okan's over here doing high pitched screams, and people are like, well, it's great character work, but you know. Private party does it, and it's you know, oh, it's emasculating. Huh? I wonder why. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, different about this guy that's from the other guys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I firmly agree with you. I think Okan's going to win. I think the stipulation is great. It just plays into this, this rivalry and the story, and it's just, it's, it's going to be a great little thing to get great Okan over. I would love for the feud to continue on. I, it, it, this is not going to happen, but I would love for the feud to continue on. And then at a certain point, it's like they have a fi- – maybe like they could take this all the way to the point where it's like Tenzon has to put his career on the line. If Tenzon loses, he retires. But if he wins, he gets the chops back. Mm. Hey, <laughs> we got we got plenty of row twos to fill up. There's cast two or – there's one uh, – is there two nights of castle attack? I think there might be two nights of castle attack. Uh, there's, 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 I don't know. There's cards to fill up, so hey, why not? Um, we had a few questions here about this one, but I think we're both firmly in the Ocon camp. Um, Viking Pain asked us, do you guys have that feeling that this year will be Tenzon's farewell tour? Yeah, especially with him losing the, the Mongolian chop, I could definitely see this being the beginning of the end. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, around this time last year, we got those, those series of retirement shows and I, I think we could get a Tenzon retirement show sometime down the line later on this year. Yeah, I mean in the last three years he's had three singles matches, one with uh Yoshihashi, New Japan Cup last year. Very good, uh surprisingly good match. Um New Japan Cup the year before that with uh uh who was that? Uh, the guy f- it was the junior guy. God, why am I forgetting names tonight? It's because I'm not feeling so good. Um, Taguchi. Yeah. <laughs> and then he had a match uh, a couple years ago in the Best of Seven series with Katsuya Kitamura, who's not even with the company anymore. So, I mean, that's how far back you're kind of talking when you talk about singles matches. From So, I, I definitely think uh, he's... I, I don't know if this is his farewell tour this year, but, I mean, it, it's coming in the next one to two years. Definitely, yeah. Then uh, next question from Muzzle. He says, never thought I would be invested in a Tenzon singles match, but this feud with Okan has me intrigued. But do you think it could be a good match? I definitely think it could be a good match because everyone in New Japan are good wrestlers, and there's no reason that they should be having bad matches in the best wrestling company on the planet. Now, will it be a good match? Is the much... Uh, more bold question and uh i'm gonna say yes this will be a good match i think entertaining i think it'll be a good match also i don't think they're going to go super long i think it's going to be you know like a a 10 to 12 minute affair um i think it's going to be very violent very hard hitting i think we're going to see a lot of mongolian chops and i think at the end it's just going to be kind of okan you know, brutalizing this man and putting him out of his misery. 
Brutal, 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 peligro. <laughs> uh, Kevin from DC asked, I feel more than confident that Great O'Connor and Will Ospreay will go over their Tenkozy opponents and when they meet uh, next week. I guess I'm musing on how great, uh, how a worker like Great O'Connor would incorporate sneaking in the Mongolian chops into every match going forward if he lost to Tenzan. Could a wrestler such as Okan or any wrestler find a way to sneak a wrestling move into every match and still produce quality matches on the regular? As another person mentioned, Tenzan is probably winding down his career in general, and it would be appropriate for him to symbolically hand the move over to Okan. Yeah, so he's kind of thinking on the same wavelength as you. You know, if he lost, he would have to sneak in the Mongolian chop, and I think you could still have good matches like that, but it would help, especially for a heel, to be able to kind of sneak, like we mentioned, get a ref distraction, and use that move to generate heat. I mean, you don't even really need, like, a ref distraction. You do need a... What I mean by that is you don't need someone, like, running distraction every time. There are ways to get that distraction generated on your own without... Uh, having to have, like, say, B. Priestley run that interference. And if you're not sure what I mean by that, just go watch, you know, World of Sport Pro Wrestling. Those those heels in that company, because the rules were so strict and it was so sports-oriented, they had to cheat right in front of the ref without the ref knowing it and find all kinds of cunning and creative ways. to. And it actually made them better workers for being able to do that. So... Could a good worker do it? Yeah, go watch Gentleman Jim Breaks and see the stuff that he would pull in his matches or, you know, Rollerball Rocco and, you know, tell me that a guy can't do the same cheating spots in every match and still have great matches. He absolutely could. Yeah. And I agree. And in fact, I, in fact, there's part of me that kind of wants this to happen now. Like, <laughs> you know, I think it'd be interesting. But, you know, I, I do think it's a symbolic passing of the torch probably. Yeah, just like, you know, last year we had um, Iska hand over, or that was 2019, hand over the, uh, the Iron Claws to Tai Chi. Yeah. So kind of handing off of something, something symbolic here. Then uh, the fourth match, semi-main of the evening, no disqualifications, Satoshi Kojima versus Will Ospreay. Yes, so we've got um, uh, the... Commonwealth Kingpin taking on Satoshi Kojima, no DQ. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think Kojima's beat anybody in singles competition within New Japan in the last three years. So I don't think that there, this is going to be any exception. But, I mean, his job was to kind of help elevate Will Ospreay. And they took something that should have been nothing and really made it into something um, and this kind of gives me a little bit of like McFoley, Randy Orton vibes. Mm. I'm not saying it's a perfect, you know, it's not exactly the same. It's definitely on a lower level in terms of like, you know, notoriety and, you know, the, the level of the feud. But there's some there's some illusions there. And I mean, Will, for all the great work he's done in New Japan and all the years he's been here, how many true blue feuds has he actually had, you know? I mean, I, I in all the years we've been covering it, I, I can't remember too many best Will Ospreay feuds that we've ever ran down. I mean, because most of them are junior athletic-styled matches. I mean, he's had rivals, but nothing that, like, really, you know, kind of bordered on that, like, personal level until, like, literally just now with the uh, 
the Okada stuff, which I think will continue on down the road. So this is a big test for him kind of getting into a interpersonal sort of deal. He's never been in a no DQ match in Japan. I've, I've seen him have street fights in the UK and he's very adept at that sort of thing. He, he can go. I hope there was that one match you were telling when he faced, um, I think it might've been a ladder match where he faced his old partner. No, it was him and Paul Robinson, yeah, Swords of Essex, against the, uh, not CCK, what are the, Dunkzilla and uh, oh, Kyle um, Fletcher. Uh, Aussie Open. Aussie Open, yeah. They had a they had a TLC match that was incredible. So, I mean, he's, and, I mean, he had that big uh, Wembley Stadium match with uh, Jimmy Havoc that was crazy. So, I mean, he's done stuff like this before. This will probably be much more contained than that. But, um, I mean, Kojima coming off of a, a you know, great match with Kenta just very recently. He's kind of riding a, a momentum wave here, and I, I expect this match to really deliver. Yeah, I think this match could actually get to uh, the four-star to notebook territory here. Uh, Kojima, he's been fired up. The promos have been great, great intensity. Uh, we've seen th- these brawls have been wild. So I think this is going to be a wild, crazy match. These guys are going to be brawling all over the place. We're going to see chairs. We're gonna, probably going to see tables. I think Osprey is going to take some crazy bumps for Kojima. Um, and I think we're going to see that more kind of killer side of Osprey with the, the striking that we've seen lately, more of the you know kind of Chris, e- Chris Hero forearms and elbows he's been doing lately. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very hard-hitting, uh, very you know kind of brutal matchup here uh, with, with Osprey going over. So we had a question here from a Reddit user Dundiesel86. Says so far I've really been into the build between the United Empire and Tenkozy. His qualifications are actually getting really good heat with me. After Will and Oka inevitably go over in their singles matches, who do you think will look for them to who will they look to go after next? Thank you guys for the great content. Keeping a strong style is consistently my favorite wrestling podcast to listen to. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate those words. Um, it's nice to be appreciated in our own time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. I'm not really sure what's next for them. Um, I mean, the, I think the biggest thing is um, New Japan Cup is sort of on the horizon. And I, I feel like that's kind of got to be where their attention goes next. Uh, but I, I think they're, they could definitely uh, – see, here's the thing. Usually if someone gets into some sort of feud prior to that and leading into it, it's usually a giveaway that they're not going to win the tournament. You know, mm-hmm. um, you kind of sort of need to be freed up a little bit to be eligible to win that thing. So, I mean, if they get into some sort of feud going into the cup, then you kind of know, you know, specifically Osprey – is probably not going to be the New Japan Cup winner. But I think he's a good candidate, a really good candidate to win it. I don't know that he wins the title on his first try, but um, I I don't see any reason why you don't have him win that tournament and be the next challenger for Ibushi and maybe even win the title. Yeah, I mean, do you think it's even possible for him to, you know, he wins this match and then maybe he, he comes out after Ibushi Sonata? In a couple of weeks, and he's the challenger for Castle Attack. I think that would be possible. The only thing is, like he, you know, I mean, who knows how how it really goes in New Japan? But I mean, he he just lost in the dome to Okada. It sort of feels like 
Okada evil might potentially be like that de facto number one spot next, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but uh, possibly. Yeah, the only thing with Okada evil is like they're the match for them hasn't even been announced yet. So that they might be facing each other at Castle Attack. Um, so you need somebody to face Ibushi. Oh, that's true. I was also sort of thinking like you didn't necessarily have to have a title shot there. That's true. I, mean, I don't think you have to, but with it being Osaka Joe Hall, I feel like they're. Ah, yeah, that's right. They're running Osaka Joe Hall. So that is a great conundrum. I'm not sure who's next. I mean, uh, Osprey's there and he's the name that you could go with. The only thing is, it just seems kind of early to me. But I mean, um, it's a possibility, yeah. Yeah, I mean, also there's also there's always Naito again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Naito could easily walk out uh, after the Ibushi Sonata match and be like, hey, let's run it. Yeah. So then the main event of this show for the Never Openweight Championship, the, the strong and best title, as uh, Shingo calls it, uh, he will be defending against Hiroshi Tanahashi. This is a match um, we've talked about on the show in the past. It's it's a dream match. It's one that we've been waiting for. Uh, you and I, we've been waiting for this since Shingo rose to prominence, especially since he became a heavyweight. And... We speculated all year that it might be a Wrestle Kingdom match. We didn't quite get that, but we're getting it now as a headliner for a big new beginning show. And um, I think that these guys are going to go out there and tear the house down. Yeah, I think this match is going to be uh, phenomenal. Uh, I could see this being a, a match of the year contender, especially for the, for the early part of the year. I think it's going to be a really just killer matchup, especially just based off of the, the sequences and interactions we've been seeing in the multi-man matches. and uh, Shingo uh, being disrespectful, using the twist and shout. Um, just some of the different interactions they've had. I think, it's yeah, it's going to be a great match. I'm really looking forward to it. I agree. And um, I think after a lot of reflection, contemplation, inner soul-searching, seeking... Um, I had to look deep within and, and ask myself, who did I think is actually going to win here? And you know what? I'm going with the ace. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know, man. It just I, I, I think Shingo could absolutely win it. But, you know, at the same time, it's like we're at a point where right now the, the double titles are kind of tied up. This never title needs a little bit of an elevation. Shingo's done a fantastic job with it, and he's held it for he held it for a lengthy period of time, regained it, and you know he hasn't had too many title defenses with it again. But he already sort of had that big, strong, establishing title reign already. I, I could easily see this title switching hands right now. It gives Tanahashi something to do. It gives Shingo something to maybe come back and chase for again, or even free Shingo up to potentially do other things down the line. Um, like again, the new Japan cup is right on the horizon. So, uh, I, I think it just makes a lot of logical sense from a booking perspective. Plus I don't think most of these titles are changing hands. So this could be the big news coming out of the show is, you know, Tanahashi beating Shingo. Yeah, man, you make, you make some great points there. And I think that, um, you know, Probably the more interesting thing, yeah, is Tanahashi winning. There's a lot of fresh, you know, never-style matchups you could do with Tanahashi as never champ. You could have Tanahashi go against some juniors. That could be a lot of fun. Um, 
But I don't know. For me, I'm going with Shingo retaining right now. I feel like they've been kind of telling the story of Tanahashi just not being quite on that, you know, that top level anymore. Um, yeah. And so, I don't know, I just feel like uh, a Shingo win here, that, that will help elevate Shingo, help elevate the Never title, and potentially, you know, position Shingo to get some bigger wins later on this year in, let's say, a New Japan Cup or a G1 and kind of elevate him maybe to a potential even a title match sometime, a double title match uh, sometime later this year. Yeah, uh, that's the one thing that kind of gave me pause. I know I'm making a bold claim, but you're right. They have been telling a story with Tanahashi not being quite up to snuff. Uh, He mentioned in the backstage comments, he's like, is it going to be 100 steps forward or 100 steps backwards? I'm basically at a a turning point. Um, My whole thing is like Tanahashi's kind of already like – I don't know, been on that downward spiral for most of last year. It just kind of feels like more of the same. Maybe they maybe they're going somewhere with it, I suppose. Uh, you know, I don't have the book, so I don't know. But I just feel like given where they're at in the company, I, I think logically this could make sense. But I, either way would be fine. I mean, you know, if, if Tanahashi loses, that's a huge, huge win for Shingo. That's a big loss for Tanahashi. This is, you know, I don't think he's ever fought for the Never Belt before. And he's never really been at that third tier level, which is kind of what this, I mean, well, he has, but it's been a long time since he's been there. And that's kind of what this would be. So, I mean, you could definitely make a story out of that. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from Viking Payne. He says, let me try to be ahead and say Tanahashi beat Shingo for the Never title and goes on to face Abushi at the upcoming anniversary show. Instead of Hiromu, I recall never openweight champion Will Ospreay and IWGP heavyweight champion Jay White doing the exact same thing a few years ago. Thoughts? Um, hmm. I will what say, do you think there there was a backstage comment from Monday's show where Abushi said um, something along the lines of, "You know, Tanahashi, I'm going to be hoping you win the Never title." And then we can face off for these titles. Yeah, they did do that. That was a champion versus champion exhibition match, which typically uh, in the in the more recent histories, that's kind of what that anniversary show has been. But I mean, you could definitely do Tanahashi winning the belt and then do a big match between the you know those two, and that would sell well. Um, I mean, that could, you could even do that at Castle Tech at that point, though, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I'm i not banking on that, but, I mean, that's something you could definitely do. Yeah. Bold prediction. I, I like that, though. I think that would be a great matchup there, getting Ibushi Tanahashi back in there. That's kind of the nice thing. We're in this. We're a little bit in the middle of this, like, Wild West frontier when, the book, when it comes to the booking where because things have been shaken up so much – and they kind of just have this clean slate so they can kind of go and do whatever they like to do at this point. And they might even be necessitated to do some out-of-the-box sort of booking decisions like that because of how things are, are situated. So maybe they do do something like that. I don't know. Yeah, be interesting to see. Uh, the next question here from at AEW News 1 underscore should NJPW Global change the name of the Openweight title to the IWGP Openweight Championship since never tours aren't a thing anymore? 
Uh, I would say no, because the, the Never title never headlined any Never tours. So they used to have these like Never shows back in the day, like around like 2010 to like 2012 ish. And those definitely were a thing. They were like little produce. I mean, New Japan has had a long history of produce shows and different projects and stuff like that throughout, especially like after Inokiism. But uh, the Never title didn't exist during those tours. Uh, They actually, the last time they actually had a Never tour was when they had the Never open weight title tournament. And at the end of the tournament was Tanaka against Carl Anderson. And then they never had another Never tour ever again. So, I mean, I don't see why you would change it now, nine years later, <laughs> when they, they ran, they've ran for nine years with the Never title as being a secondary or third tier title in the company for the whole duration. Uh, plus, we all know that the, the Never Committee is better than the IWGP Committee anyways. Exactly. Look, look at the way this title's been booked. The Never Committee, <laughs> they, a great set of gentlemen right there. And plus, you know, never just, you know, it has its brand, you know, it's for guys who never back down from the smoke, <laughs> you know, never afraid to run it. So I think how, just, how often are they with that bullshit? Never. never. <laughs> uh, so uh, real quick, moving on to NJPW Strong, uh, or, or excuse me, this was the Lions Break Contender. Show we had night one of Lions Breaking Tender. Uh, no road two. No, this one. This was uh, night one. I forgot to. Uh, oh my uh, bad. My update bad. the heading there. So yeah, this was night one of Lions Breaking Tender. We had. Yeah, I didn't watch this shit. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, the Regal Twins. They defeated Jordan Clearwater and Kevin Knight. We had a uh, nice little Hoss match here with uh, Brody King defeating J.R. Kratos. With the big news item coming out of this show. Ren Narita defeating Bateman with uh, the Cloverleaf hold here. 14 minutes, 53 seconds, getting a big win over established uh, Ring of Honor guy. Our man, Ren Narita, getting a little bit of a push here. Uh, we have some questions here from Reddit user ABLUE3. Opinions on Ren Narita beating Bateman. Do you think he is graduating from Young Lion status? Uh, well, I mean, I guess technically he kind of already is. That's sort of like when you go, I, I mean, I guess you're a lion on excursion, but this whole thing is kind of wonky. Cause like he went to the U S to work indie dates and the indie dates never happened. And then he, he's only, this is the first time in, in the past year that he's like shown up on a show since like the, uh, you know, he worked at the J cup, but that was about it. So yeah, well, I mean, I the, mean, the weird thing about it is that he's still they're saying he represents the LA Dojo. He does because that's where his excursion is. Yeah, his excursion is to the LA Dojo. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I think technically he is—he's not viewed as a full-fledged young lion because he's on excursion, but right. he's, he's also not graduated either. So, yeah. I mean, and that's how it is always. You know, he's in that interim phase right now. And Kevin Kelly at one point did say he's no longer a young lion, but I don't know if he's that, not. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's not a young lion in the same way that Great O'Con was not a young lion in Repro. Yeah, you know, they're they're on their excursion, but he's not graduated to his full. You know, he hasn't uh, evolved to his final form. Right. 
you know, he's wrestling Bateman. He's like, oh, you thought you want to fuck with me? <laughs> I wasn't even, I haven't even moved up my, my next form yet, dog. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was happy to see. I, I was suppressing my power level. <laughs> I was happy to see Narita get the win here. It was very surprising. And so, yeah, looking forward to seeing what's going to happen uh, with his push. They got a lot of time there. 14 minutes, 53 seconds. Was this good? Yeah, it was a uh, pretty good uh, main event there for Strong. I guess what I was surprised about is just they gave Bateman all that time to talk about lambs to the slaughter and how he's going to fuck everybody up. And, and it really seemed like, like, oh, shit, they're about to have this guy just squash people, which is what I was – I was here for it. And then they had him go out there for 15 minutes with Renderita, which, you know, we love Renderita, but that doesn't really make a lot of – I guess it does make sense in the sense of, like, he's a Ring of Honor guy. Narita is your homegrown guy. You want to put over your own talent. I get that, but it seems short-sighted to have given him all that screen time to cut that long-ass promo and really try to establish his character and then have him lose. So I didn't see the match. Maybe maybe it did something for both guys because uh, they got a lot of time, but it just seems kind of, I don't know, wonky, I guess, from a creative yeah, standpoint. Yeah, I guess it was just kind of, they're just trying to pull a swerve. It was like, all right, we, we built up this Bateman guy. He's going against Sarita, who fans still see as, you know, young lion. They, they think Bateman's going to get a squash and win, but we're going to pull the swerve and have Narita win. But the thing is, they didn't really establish him because he didn't have any matches. He just had the one promo, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, Abu 3 also asks, who would you like to bring into NJPW who would work both strong in Japan shows? I'd like to see Chris Hero, Roosh, Dragon Lee, Gresham, and Bandito. Those are all really good answers. I don't know if I have better answers than those. Let's let's fucking do that. Except for no, Roosh can stay his ass home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, I, I don't understand why Dragon Lee slash Ryu Lee has not been working strong. He's been doing Ring of Honor shows in the States. He's the Ring of Honor TV champion. I get that he has to be in the, the ROH bubble when they get ready for those TV tapings. But we've seen Brody King. Uh, we're, we're seeing Bateman. We've, we've seen other Ring of Honor guys. Justin Gabriel, uh, or PJ Black is his uh, name now. We've seen those guys be on Strong throughout since Strong has started. Why hasn't a guy like Dragon slash Ryu Lee, a guy who has dual contracts, why he hasn't, he hasn't been using Strong yet? Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so next week, night two, lines break contender. Leo Rush makes a strong debut in the main event, teaming up with Fred Rosser and TJP. Take on Kenta, ELP, and Hikaleo. We have Chris Dickinson versus Rocky Romero. And then the opener, Clark Connors versus the new LA Dojo Young Lion, the DKC. I will for sure be turning tuning in to see Rocky and Chris Dickinson. That sounds awesome. Uh, sounds like a pretty pretty decent card there. Yeah, should be fun. Yeah, that Dickinson-Rocky match should be really good. Uh, moving on to the news, there's a few quick news items here. Uh, so PWI had a digital only issue that had an inside NJPW article with uh, Walter Yeats interviewing NJPW president and CEO Takami Obari, uh, who took over for Harold May when he resigned in September. So I got some of, some of the highlights here, but you can download that from a PWI if you want the full interview. Um, Abari, uh, he assured that NJPW's plans on running events in different uh, arenas in Canada and the U.S., was still a goal for NJPW. Uh, when asked about NJPW's immediate and long-term goals, Obari went into detail about NJPW reaching a point 
where they could run events both in Japan and in the U.S. simultaneously. He also hopes that in 2022, which is NJPW's 50th year, the company can regularly earn about $100 million a year where they can run big events in Japanese stadiums and big U.S. venues like Madison Square Garden regularly. Obari expressed his desire for NJPW to show its strong style mentality. He did not confirm if Wrestle Kingdom would remain two nights permanently. He did express NJPW's desire to run more large-scale events, not only in other four major domes, but also outside of Japan. Uh, when he was asked about what he feels the biggest challenges for NJPW are, he said that they continue to um, expand internationally. He noted with NJPW's 50-year history, setting up a loyal fan base in Japan. He also noted how vital free dist- distribution and television will be along with talent acquisition. Uh, Josh, any thoughts here on... Uh, these these comments from Abari. I don't know if you saw anything else that he said. Uh, I I mean it sounds good in theory, but I mean I I don't see anything there more than fluff to be honest with you. I mean, uh, some of that stuff is great. You know, we want to run in the U.S., we want to run in Canada, we want to you know grow, do a hundred million a year. You know, that's great. How how do you plan to do that? And uh, in this market, how do you plan to do that? And I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that they can give away all their business plans and ideas, but they have not shown competency and understanding of foreign markets to be able to do that. And the importance of U.S. television distribution, which is like the keystone hallmark of what is needed to have a successful company or seaside, you know, over here in the States. Uh, and they didn't talk about that at all. So it's like, uh, even when they asked what, what do they feel the biggest challenges are for them as they continue to grow and expand, like they didn't touch on any of the real things that have been already <laughs> huge problems for them. And I mean, I guess it'd be hard to say like, well, I guess the fact that we created our own competition in AEW, that would be, <laughs> <laughs> you know, our, our biggest obstacle, you know, they didn't bring that up. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, it sounds great, but like, I just, I think back to like when pride, I know it's not the same thing, but like pride wanted to do the same thing. And I know dragon gate kind of tried to do the same thing a few years ago. And it's like, you want to run events simultaneously between the two companies. I mean, creatively, how do you plan to do that? You know, uh, you, you can have Gato being, you know, booking all this shit out, you know, how's that can work for the town? Like, I just think it's so lofty. It's like, uh, I, I don't know that that's the way to go, to be honest with you. I mean, what, what, what major company can you think of that does really well running two simultaneous organizations in two separate countries on the other side, uh, on two separate sides of the globe? Like it's never happened. Yeah. And I think too, another problem is, Kind of when I was looking at the interview, like with the international expanse, the U.S. stuff, it's it's sounding like you know the guys that they're bringing into strong, like these you know DKCs and Jordan Clearwaters and all these guys, like they want to establish a U.S. roster they can have to work these U.S. shows. But we've kind of talked about you know New Japan fans love New Japan for the Japanese talent, and so how are you going to? create an American, you know, New Japan brand with all these American guys? Well, I mean, in theory, you could, but it would take a long time to do that. You know what I mean? And Mm. at at a certain point, you're probably creating something that's not New Japan authentic anymore. 
you know? Yeah. Like, like you're mentioning. Uh, I, I, I think the biggest problem, aside from just what you mentioned, you know, the presentation of the product, it's, it's also the, the sense that this is almost everything he said is primarily based on touring, you know, I, you know, we want to run shows here. We want to run shows there. We want to do shows everywhere. I mean, wrestling is becoming a content creative sort of thing here in the States. Look at what's going on with, uh, WWE, even look at AW. I mean, they're not doing any touring. Touring is an antiquated model that's not going to reap large results in current day U.S. It's just not, and it's going to cost too much, and it's going to put you, it's going to drown you, put you in a hole, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they need to figure out, they need to figure out how to get good distribution here in the states because that's the thing that they need, and that's the thing that that will worry and concern Vince McMahon and Tony Khan. They 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 will not care. If New Japan is running cities, you know, all over the the country, Ring of Honor already does that, and they don't give a fuck. They're not going to care if New Japan does it because it's not going to translate to anything significant. But if they get national television, and they're putting big stars up like Will Ospreay, Jay White, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Okada Naito, then then we're talking. Yeah. So yeah, still still no news on their US and UK TV deal that they teased uh through Wrestle Kingdom, so we'll see what happens with, with that. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, we'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and other news, uh we had a ROH TV title match last week with uh Dragon Lee he took on Ray Horace. Uh Uncle Dave gave it 4 and a quarter. So you can check that out on uh, ROH's website um, on their from their TV show last week. I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, hearing really great reviews from it, and yeah, it's just great to see Dragon Lee uh, back in action here. Um, and then last little interesting note I have here, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of you know talk on the internet during uh, Impact's Hard to Kill pay per view when uh, Kenny Omega wore. The Halloween Bullet Club shirt, and also we, we talked about some of the Tama stuff last week. But uh, while, while looking at pros and tees last week, I saw that the the Halloween Bullet Club shirt ended up being one of the top sellers for last week on Pro Wrestling Tees. Yeah, that shirt sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why people like that shirt. I saw a lot of people. I, I saw a lot of people like. Talking about how dope that shirt is, I, I don't know, maybe because I like the color scheme or something. I think it's shitty. Uh, I'm not a big fan of like niche sort of things that are um, seasonal. Seasonal, yeah, I don't like seasonal shirts. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess it's cool if you if you're like, I want to have something that says I'm a Mark, <laughs> and I love trick or treating. <laughs> Love spooky season, and I love the the OGBC, the Biz Cliz, you know. <laughs> but I also I love the Biz Cliz, but I also want to know I'm all about I'm all about Halloween, you know, All Hallows Eve. Like that doesn't make sense to me. That's bullshit, you know. Like that's one of those shirts that those guys are marketing geniuses. They're like, oh, Halloween's coming around. Let's throw this shit out there. We know the marks are gonna eat it up, you know. Yeah. And they fucking and they fucking did. And then and then he was like, oh no, let, let's let 
let's put that shirt on again. I bet you people will buy it. And like, they fucking. Did. Oh, I guess he, he didn't benefit from it though. It's New Japan, like, yeah, getting the benefit out of that shit. So I don't know. I I think that shirt sucks. I always have though. I'm not a fan. I mean, I don't really wear that as much wrestling merch as other people, anyways, because I'm kind of selective. Like, I, I don't know. People are marks. Yeah, even uh, you know a merch guy like me, I would not buy like, the, the seasonal you know Bullet Club T-shirt. Like I, I got one Bullet Club shirt, you know, with the main logo. I don't need you know a Halloween version, a Christmas version, you know Easter version. Yeah, the Kwanzaa version, dog. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the skull with the, with the goofy. <laughs> Actually, I might get that. <laughs> oh, with the, the book club with the Koofy on top. Bro, that'd be so funny. Oh, my gosh. Bro, oh, my God. All right, let's get into these questions. Let's go home because I'm not feeling so good. All right, yeah, let's run through these real quick. Uh, Reddit user uh, ablue3, do you think there was if there was no virus, Suji or Yamura would be on excursion by now? And Do you think either will just skip excursion? Uh, I think it's possible. Um, but also they haven't really brought out any other, they haven't debuted any other lines. We saw the one recently, but, uh, you know, they haven't made any official debuts and maybe that's also due to, um, you know, the pandemic, but normally there's a cycle where you have the upper, you know, what is What are they called? Kohai? Yeah. You know, the, the Kohai senpai relationship. They usually kind of establish that and, there's no senpais for these kohais to to gang up on. So I mean, I don't know. And yeah, they could skip excursion. I mean, it's not unprecedented. Sometimes it's beneficial. Sometimes it's really not. So yeah, I, I could I could see it going either way. If there was no virus, yeah, possibly they could they could be sent on excursion. But like you said, yeah, we have to they got to reload the system first. They have to get some new um, young lines to have ten minute draws for us to check out first. So. He also asked, do we think Umino Shooter will be back from excursion within the year? And if so, who would you like his first feud to be with? Uh, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, I, I could potentially see him coming back. I'll soon, I don't even know where he is right now, if he's been stuck in the U.K. or if he's found his way back to Japan. But it, it would be cool to have him come back within the next year or so. Uh, as far as first feud, I mean, I don't know what I saw in Brev Pro. Like he just he looked like a star and looked like you know a guy that could be, uh, you know, a top guy and ace of the company. Um, so I mean, I'd like to see him feud with somebody that's in, in the topper. You know, maybe start off somewhere in the mid card and then work his way up. Tanahashi beat that old bastard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could do that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, for me, sure, like. He's on excursion. Maybe he's getting some life experience. Maybe he's, you know, working in the best gyms. I mean, we've seen excursions where guys have gone away and not done, you know, a lot of in-ring work that was in front of, you know, paying eyes. But for the most part, traditionally speaking, you send him there to work other styles, work other guys, get reps. And he hasn't actually been able to do that. And working, you know in a gym is not the same thing as working in front of a crowd. So, I mean, if it was me, I would say, no, let's hold off. Let's get everybody these, uh, you know, these shots so that everyone can be vaccinated. Let's get them working in front of crowds and bring them back when he's ready. I mean, unless 
you know, they have different criteria because, I mean, I don't know, Watsonabe, he didn't, you know, work that much in front of live crowds either, so who knows. Yeah, he, he was barely used in Ring of Honor. Okada, barely used. Okada, too. Yeah, barely used in Impact, so. Um, Just a Little Bear asked us, uh, while it is very hard to plan anything specific in the pam- pandemic, do you guys think that the second MSG show, Wrestle Dynasty, is a dead idea for now or will eventually be rescheduled? I mean, I, I could see it being rescheduled. Um, just, you know, New York was a, a hot spot. I know we're getting the, the, the shots and the vaccines rolled out there, but. That show's not happening yeah. right now. From, I don't I don't remember where I heard it or who said it, but I, I know it's not happening right now. Yeah, that's probably. Uh, it, it could happen in the future, but yeah, it's pretty much dead. Yeah, that's going to be a, looks like, move, you know, move back to 2022 probably. Uh, Viking Payne asked us, is the COVID situation down in Florida as bad as the media is making it out to be? And is Tampa prepared to handle big events like Super Bowl <laughs> 55 and WrestleMania 37? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Um, I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't work in the medical field. I know Jeremy doesn't. We s- sit our happy asses at home trying to <laughs> be as responsible as possible. But... Yeah, I think it probably is as bad as it sounds to be. Um, I mean, look at how many deaths there are. And, I mean, you could go down a whole wormhole and rabbit hole when it comes to testing metrics, you know. You know, there's going to be some sides that say that, you know, they're over-tested. In fact, they pretty much have proven recently that the they've over-cycled on the testing and perhaps some of the tests have been too sensitive. And maybe they're giving too many positive cases when there really aren't as many positive cases. But then at the same time, there's a lot of false negatives. There's a lot of people who are testing negative and definitely have it. And so it's hard to know exactly what the reality is. But what I do know is uh, everything's open. (laughs) Uh, When I look online, I see a lot of people that I know out there, out and about doing things that I haven't done in well over a year, you know. Eating out, gambling, you know, going to God knows what, to everything. And, you know, you see that, it makes you nervous. Like, it makes me nervous to, like, go to the grocery store and shit like that. Because, you know, I don't want to get, it's not even for me, but, like, I don't want to give it to somebody else and, like, kill somebody. Right. You know? So, I, I, yeah, but, I mean, um, my girlfriend, she works in healthcare and it's hell been hell for a year i mean it's literally like a living nightmare and so for people that are like in elder homes and hospitals yeah it's just as bad as it is and with this new strain which is already they've proven they're saying it's going to be more deadly and it's more contagious and it's uh you know already out there i mean i'm assuming it's going to get worse and no i don't think we're prepared to handle big events like the super bowl or like wrestlemania and i think it's grossly irresponsible that they're having those events uh with that many people yeah i saw something today where it was like yeah city officials are not going to be reinforcing covid guidelines for these events or just kind of expecting people to take their own precautions for these events so yeah the the they let the genie out of the bottle a long time ago and they're they can't put the worms back in the can at this point like they they pretty much just just given up like they lost the battle yeah so, 
it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, both of those weekends with cases and. It's not going to be interesting, to be honest. It's it's actually very sad. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad because um, people are going to die because of it, and I mean that's a. Uh, it's not an overstatement. It's not, you know, a fear tactic. It's just the truth. You know, this thing is deadly. It's not deadly for everybody. It is for a small portion, but you know, with how contagious this thing has been, and we haven't had COVID talk on this podcast a long time, but with how contagious this thing is and how widespread it is, I mean, it results in deaths. It's undeniable, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, you know, there's all kinds of arguments around this, you know, whatever side of the fence you fall on. But I think the one thing, the one thing to me that's just logical, it's like you shouldn't be putting 25, 30,000 people into a general vicinity when there's a global pandemic going on that's killing people. Like, I don't know, it just seems, <laughs> you know, do this shit in front of, do it in front of a green screen like you did last year, you know? Right. I mean, fuck. I mean, Super Bowl is not even real this year. I mean, this people, everyone here in Tampa is like marking out because, like, yeah, we, we're the first team to do it at home. I'm like, this season wasn't even real. <laughs> 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 like, ca- calm down. Yeah. Out of, out of all the out of all the at least like with with the other like with MLB, hockey, NBA, they had some semblance of actual seasons, but like. NFL, they had like teams with no coaches, <laughs> you know, like teams were getting like knocked off left and right. Like shit, shit wasn't ready. Like this was not a real NFL season, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of weird, it's a weird, it's a weird year, weird season. Yeah. Yeah. It's bullshit. It's all bullshit. <laughs> uh, his next question, it says non NJPW related question. But what are your thoughts on Undertaker's recent comments about the current WWE product being soft? There's some validity in his comments, particularly about wrestlers in our current generation, or is this just another case of angry old guy? Um, I don't know. I, I listened to the podcast. I thought it was sort of honestly, it was an offhanded comment that was just spewed out in the middle of, you know, a two plus hour conversation. To me, it didn't seem like anything that was like a I get it. I get what people are mad about it, but I, I just kind of didn't take it that seriously i was just like you know every wrestler that's ever been in the industry feels the way he feels that the era that they came from was better and the guys that are here now are gonna feel that way themselves in 20 years if they're still around and that's just the way things are yeah i didn't hear the whole podcast i just saw the comments that were were shared around online um, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I do think that the, the locker room is a, you know, a little bit of a healthier situation than it was in Undertaker's day. That It's better that these guys are playing video games instead of doing drugs and having knives and guns in the locker room. So. I, I mean, I think part of it, though, too, is like, I don't think it's as simple as one way or the other, you know? Like, it's it's stupid to to boil it down to one thing he said or one thing he didn't say or whatever. Like the honest truth is like, there's definitely positives from his era and there's definitely mega negatives that just don't exist anymore. You know, the hazing, the bullying, you know, the drug use, you know, that shit it's gone. But then there's also like people 
sticking to their gimmicks. There's definitely like people that like kind of brought a believability that's sort of missing from, you know, today's product that, and I think that's some of what he's kind of alluding to is like, they were businessmen, you know, they're, they're a bunch of dudes who were about their business, who are about making their money, you know, and it was just a different feel. And I think there is some positivity to that idea, you know, and also like the idea of like there being respect and, and that sort of thing. It's not all bad. Uh, it's just different, but you know, I, I think some people, they saw the comments and they immediately were like, Oh, he's, he's saying they're soft. And, and, and the, you know, if you want to take him to task for that, that's fine. But I kind of thought it was overblown, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't really what the podcast was about. It was mostly about, honestly, the podcast was just basically a rehash of everything that, if you're a wrestling fan, you pretty much already knew all the stuff that he said. Now, here's the most egregious thing. This is the real egregious thing from that podcast. That, that he said that that man said that he worked an average of 237 dates a year every year for like decades dude undertaker never broke 160 matches in a year <laughs> <laughs> and that is the absolute truth go to cage match you know if anyone be like well how do we know well we've got the records <laughs> right and as many times as he's gone away and come back for various storylines and in the mid 90s in the early 90s he worked some pretty tough schedules there were about 100 160 maybe a little more than that he never broke 200 in a year and this this guy was going out there saying he worked almost 240 dates a year you know 300 days a year or whatever no he didn't he didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> maybe you know uh, I, I remember like Dean Ambrose worked like a hellacious schedule a couple years ago. That was like crazy. I know Jey Uso did, but Undertaker never did that shit. <laughs> right. Especially you know, the, 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 that last half of the run there. Uh, next question here from Kevin from DC. Any attempts planned to go to Super Bowl 55? I can't recall you both ever talking about football. I myself am not really a fan. I'm asking because it's probably going to be seen as a trial run for big events going forward, including WrestleMania 37, which is also in Tampa. The way I look at things, the way I look at things like this is that people can set every third seat and attempt to promote social distancing norms. Events like Dominion and Wrestle Kingdom have shown that. However, I still want to pull my hair out when people are outside not wearing masks or worse, wearing masks without covering their nose. It's almost like they are flaunting their unwillingness to properly mask up. Do you remain optimistic that Americans can attempt to enjoy live events again properly? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have any plans to go to it or anything like that. Um, there actually may be a possibility of obtaining tickets, I found out today. So <laughs> it's funny you ask that. But uh, I, I didn't make any plans. I, I, I understand football, but I'm not a big fan of it like other people are. I, I like college. I'm, I'm a Michigan fan. And I guess I'm a Lions fan. And for this week, I'm a diehard Tampa Bay fan. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't last week, but this week, <laughs> Dexter Jackson, let's do this shit. Run it back. Uh, yeah, I don't have any plans on going Super Bowl Fifty Five. I'm not really a big football fan, like 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 you. I, I understand the game and the rules, stuff like that. I mainly pay attention because I I do play like the fancy football stuff at my work and at my church, just because I like winning stuff. And 
at my church league, the, the prize is a title belt um, that I've been desperately trying to win the last three years now. <laughs> I, I've gotten so close. Um, but <laughs> So, yeah, I pay attention to that because of that, but I, I don't really watch games or go to games that often, so I have no interest in going to Super Bowl, really. Here's the thing. like I'm hoping that they social distance it, but it's not just the social distancing. It's also like the stuff that they've done over Japan. Like there's no concessions. There's no food. There's no drinks, you know, not a lot of of cheer. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's no cheering in Japan and they have to wear their masks. Like it's very enforced. Yeah. They're only allowed to come in at a certain point. They get released in sections they're not allowed to cheer. They're not allowed to raise their voices. They have to. It's mandatory masks, even outdoors. Now, you know, there, there've definitely been, um, you know, there, there, there is, it pretty much from from every like proven report, it this thing is highly non-transmittable outside. But when you have a large gathering of people in a small area, I assume that those you know, the, the risk level probably goes up quite a bit. And it's like with the distancing, that's fine. But I think masks should be mandatory, you know, at least in this sort of instance specifically. You know, you got a lot of people there traveling from all over the world. It just seems like that's the good precaution that that's the example that should be set there. Um, but people are not going to follow it. Like they just don't. Like there isn't that social responsibility that people have in other countries where they feel like I'm doing this to protect everybody. People here do it and they're like, I'm doing it begrudgingly because it's being forced on, not everybody, but you, there's definitely an element of that amongst people where there's a large portion of the population. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm being forced to do it. So I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to cover my nose. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Or, or or I'm, you know, or whatever, you know, I, I saw someone put a, post out the other day they're like someone came up to me and told me i should be wearing a mask and i told them to fuck off or whatever and i'm like well, i mean dude you should like just, just do it bro like just do it like what the fuck it's yeah it's not not that big of a deal guys <laughs> yeah so i don't know so, yeah this is- so i'm i'm not optimistic about americans enjoying live events at all i'm not optimistic about anything because look at how we have handled this pandemic we are the laughing stock of the world we've handled it worse than any other country. And I think that goes to show you that, you know, the, the public guidelines that we didn't put into place that other people put into place, that's the difference. Right. And, and Florida has just been one of the, the worst States in in the U S. And so, yeah, it's been terrible here. It's been a crap show here. And so, yeah, both these weekends, uh, WrestleMania weekend, Super Bowl weekend, or, yeah, it's probably going to be, it's, uh, you know, the crap show and just more cases coming out of those weekends. Like you mentioned, people are going to die, unfortunately. Thoughts, uh, Dom Homie 101, he asked, thoughts on WWE's Peacock uh, new new partnership. Do you think that New Japan should go the same route with New Japan World that WWE did with their network? So thoughts on the on the partnership with Peacock and WWE? Um, I think it's a smart move for WWE. Um, they have been failing to hit the, the network goals. They somehow have finessed uh, Peacock to give them a billion dollars to get all their content. Um, and now they can just fully be, you know, just a content uh, content producers. Uh, they're not really going to be totally responsible for the, the numbers of Peacock subscribers. 
WWE fans, they, they're going to have to pay, only pay four ninety nine now for for to get access to the network. So, I mean, it, it's sort of a win lose situation. Um, if you wanted to pay less for this, plus get the benefits of the new Peacock streaming service, then it, it's great for the consumer to a certain degree. You know, like yeah. Uh, now, what entails with that? What will we still what will the new WWE network look like? Is it going to be everything that's already there just kind of poured it over and then, you know, whatever new content they end up adding like pay-per-views, you know, TV shows, these recap shows, shit like that. That's fine. But if you were someone like me who, what they love about the network is, you know, the archived shit and, you know, the historical base shows and, and, you know, the old Coliseum videos getting uploaded and, you know, want, hoping one day to watch all these older, you know, promotions and episodes of shows that, that they had on there. You're probably never going to get that. Like, that's not going to be happening most likely in this incarnation. There's not going to be a lot of uh, incentive to do that sort of thing. So, I mean, it, it is kind of a lose-lose because there's, there's no... Um, incentive for them to continue to, to put into the product anymore. You right. know, like they, their grift is complete. They, they, they sold their shit off and they don't need to do anything else to it. Yeah. From what I understand, everything that's on the network right now will be transferred over. But yeah, like you, you make a great point, you know, they have recently been uploading like all these progress and ICW shows and evolve shows and all these old, you know, network, uh, you know, promotion, um, territory stuff. They, they don't have no incentive to, do, to upload any more of that stuff if they don't want to. I mean, they don't have a lot of incentive to do much because they're getting another, you know, they've been, um, they've had, they've been renegotiating contracts for all these talents and telling them that they're tightening their belts, even though they prove that they're in the, their most, their most pro- marketable or most profitable phase of their existence ever in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, they're, you know, paying everybody less and, you know, renegotiating and yada, yada, yada. And then it turns out that they're getting another billion dollars that they've known about for a while. Cause this has been in the works for who knows how long. Yeah. So like these guys are the ultimate grifters. Like they are literally, they're not a pro wrestling company anymore. They're just a, Cont- you know, there's <clears throat> content producers. Yeah. They're content producers. And, uh, so, I mean, in, in the, the thing is, this is the official, they're giving up on, the WWE network, uh, you know, George Berrios and Michelle Wilson, this was kind of their dream, their baby. And I think it was a great product that was a little bit ahead of its time. Uh, the thing that killed it and the thing that probably made it an abject failure is them giving away every single pay-per-view for free along with the, you know, the nine ninety nine because that completely changed their business model that gave, you know, they lost, untold millions maybe even billions off of it so them selling this thing off for a billion dollars to peacock uh for who knows however many years that uh, this is five a great, years five years yeah hey i mean i think ultimately peacock is going to find out it's probably not going to be that much of a game changer for them i don't know how many people are like I really want to be able to watch The Office, and I really want to see the Fiend. superstars from 1992, <laughs> or like, yeah, The Fiend. Like, uh. now with New Japan, it's not the same thing. New Japan is basically 
you know, they don't own the majority of their product or their, you know, footage is owned by TV Acai, which already is a television, uh, you know, network company. So it, it's kind of a different situation. Plus, streaming over in Japan has just, it really hasn't ever caught on the way it has here in the States. Um, I mean, I think there could definitely be some sort of possible distribution deal potentially, you know, sort of like what like zone has done with Bellator or something like that, or, you know, BR Live and um, AEW. But I don't, I mean, I don't know that they can sell off their library because their library doesn't belong to them. It belongs to TV Acai. So it's kind of a different situation altogether. I don't even think they have the, the means to do what WWE's done here. Yeah. A lot, a lot more complicated of a situation. But, you know, if, if it were possible, then I would say yes. Obviously, if they're going to get handed a billion dollars to do this, then that would be a great thing. I would them. say, well, I mean, yeah, if it's just, you know, like short-term rights like that, then yeah. Uh, so his next question says, with the young boy trained to be a wrestler, will we ever see the young boy wrestle in a death match? LOL. Also, what are your guys' thoughts on death match wrestling? I don't know, man. You guys might never see me wrestle a match. <laughs> <laughs> Um, most likely not. I mean, I probably, I, I, I probably just say no. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to, if you, if, if, if you did, it'd have to be really gimmicked. <laughs> like I'm, I, I'm not, maybe like maybe a street fight or a hardcore match. I'm not doing no death matches. Like I'm not taking thumbtacks. I'm not doing shards of glass. Like, I don't know. I've got a really, really good trainer. Um, come from you know we come from a place with a lot of pedigree and we don't really need those gimmicks to get over like you know so probably not <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, overall i mean I'm, I'm not the biggest death match guy like i don't mind hardcore matches street fights you know no dq but once you get into the light tube um exploding barbed wire fire table stuff um it's like all right little much i like it um within reason i mean i like a lot of the like fmw onita stuff but not all of it but some of it is really great and you know every now and again i'll hear about you know a freedoms match or a uh you know like a czw match from back in the day or something gc dub that's really good and you know if there's a compelling story and you know, the, the matches engrossing, then sure. But, like, I usually watch that stuff in a vacuum. I'm not a too big of a fan of it because most of it, most of it's just shitty, to be honest with you. It's usually shitty guys that can't work, that right. are just hit. There's no story. They're just hitting each other with stuff. There's no psychology. And it's a bunch of beard necks in the fucking crowd, like 12 or 13 guys that are, you know, acting like this is the most epic thing ever. And it, it's kind of shitty. Like, the whole thing is kind of masturbatory like it sucks yeah so you made a great point you know a guy like you know matt sidell is training you guys to actually you know get over and wrestle with actual wrestling moves and holes or you know a lot of not all deathmatch guys but a lot of deathmatch guys don't have that wrestling background they just have to get over by hitting each other with stuff yeah bro plus wrestling already hurts i'm not trying to (laughs) (laughs) not trying to get hit (laughs) Uh, next question Who will be next in line A shot at the double gold He's going with Suzuki Wrestling For a castle attack That's not a bad call Actually I mean 
he's not doing anything right now and he's a good he's a good challenger uh you know the only thing is suzuki's already had like seven title shots in his career and never won the title this would be like eight i think this put him right uh next to goto for most all-time failed you know title shots so um but yeah it's not a bad way to go yeah suzuki bushi we saw their match in g1 uh that would be a fire title match at castle attack i i think abushi is a possibility i think Naito's a possibility. Tanahashi's a possibility. Yeah, I think I think I still think Osprey has a chance too. Yeah, Osprey's up there as well. Uh, maybe Jeff Cobb. Maybe yeah, if he gets back in the country uh, for that oh, yeah. tour. Yeah, I guess he's not there. Um, those would be my best guesses. I would say. Yeah. Uh, he also asked, any way too early New Japan Cup favorites? I'm going with the Great O'Connor, Jeff Cobb, and if Cobb returns to Japan. I'd be surprised if either of them won the tournament before Will Ospreay did uh, within the group. I mean, he's clearly the head, the head of the table, if you will. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm going with I, I think Osprey makes the most sense as a first time guy right. for that tournament. And just based off how things are being booked right now, they're tr- clearly trying to get him over. Uh, so I would think just based off what's happening right now. Osprey would make the most sense if he's not going to challenge at a castle attack. Uh, how likely will we ever see an IWGP heavyweight title match on New Japan Strong once this COVID situation hopefully goes away? I mean, let's assume this TV deal with... If the reports that we've kind of heard are true, it's not going to be as exciting as people think it might be but uh let's just assume it's a real t- if if they had a real tv deal in the states in front of a big crowd then yeah maybe it would make sense to do an iwgp title match here uh but um right now in that soundstage no yeah no way we're seeing a an iwgt double title match in the empty arena on strong non-New Japan question with the Royal Rumble coming up what are your guys favorite Rumble match favorite Rumble match moment and favorite Rumble pay-per-view oh man um I mean the 92 Rumble is my favorite uh my favorite moment probably has to be Maven kicking drop kicking Undertaker over the top rope um favorite pay-per-view I mean I don't know probably Royal Rumble 2000, the one with Triple H and Cactus Jack. I don't even know if any of those pay-per-views are especially good. I, I'm just saying that because I just like that match a lot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, favorite Rumble match? Uh, probably, I know it's probably not going to be on a lot of people's list, but it's mine because it was the first one I ever went to was 95. I was five years old, and Shawn Michaels was my favorite wrestler. and he Bro, won it's it. like one of the worst ones. I know, but... <laughs> I was there. Sean was my guy as a kid. Uh, he won it from number one, um, and I, I popped. I remember just marking out so hard when he pushed over British Bulldog and, and got the win. Um, favorite Rumble match moment? I loved uh, Sean and Taker kind of having their little mini match um, at the end of the Rumble. Uh, I think that was what oh six or oh seven. Can't remember quite what year that was, but they had a little mini match there where the final two where Undertaker won. Um, Favorite Rumble pay-per-view overall? Uh, I don't know. I think 
2016 was a good year. 2014, I think, was another good year uh, for Rumble pay-per-views. This next question, he says, it's time for fight questions. So what are the young boys' thoughts on the UFC 257 main event? Where do Connor future in UFC look like? Any thoughts on the rumor? Uh, separate question. So, yeah. So thoughts on the UFC 257 main event and where you think Connor's going? Um, yeah, the, the main event was really good. I was, it was real surprising. Um, I was not expecting, um, Poirier to take Connor out in the second round. I guess my thinking was Connor was most dangerous in the first and second round. And if it got past that, I started leaning a lot more heavily towards Poirier, but, um, man, those calf kicks are a killer. I mean, they are the new, all the rage in the sport of MMA I mean, if, if you don't have a defense for those, you're fucked at this point on an elite level. you got to be checking kicks, and you've got to be checking those calf kicks. And I mean, one or two land, and it changes the entire trajectory of the fight, and that's what we saw happen with uh, with Conor McGregor. Yeah, I, I saw the, uh, the the fight also, and yeah, it was a great fight. Um, I, I thought it was going to end in a second, but I thought it was going to be Conor putting away Poirier but yeah those, those calf kicks really were the end of Connor there and yeah and I, I thought Connor looked really good it might even be the best he's looked um I thought it was interesting though he kind of abandoned his um karate style stance and went with a more traditional orthodox boxing stance I don't know if that has to do with him bringing in his childhood boxing coach but um the style that he fought was definitely different than what he's done previously. He didn't take that side stance that he normally takes. That might have something to do with him getting kicked in the leg 25 times or 21 times or whatever it was. But I mean, Poye showed his durability. Um, as far as what's next for Connor, um, I mean, he's got medical suspension for six months. So I mean, he's not going to fight this year. Uh, he says he's going to fight again, but I mean, it's it'd be late in the year if he does. And um, I mean, they're going to have to change their negotiating tactics quite a bit. I mean, he'll probably have to take a tune up fight for the first time in quite a while in his UFC career. I mean, most of his fights have been main events or, you know, dream matches, stuff like that. Um, I know there's a lot of people that probably want him to fight Nick Diaz. Third Nick Diaz fight might make sense. I don't know. Yeah, really interesting what happens of Connor going forward. Uh, he also asked, also, any thought on the rumor of the exhibition between Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao and Ryan chasing Clout Garcia? I hate to bring race into this, but it seems like another example of the no black fighter list. Also, what's up with this exhibition crap when both fighters are still active? <laughs> um, you know, I actually just found out about what the no black fighter list even was. Um, when I first read this, I was like, what are you talking about, like, you know, black fighters dominate boxing like the most lucrative paid fighters in history were all, you know, mostly black people. Um, aside from like, you know, Hispanics, like, you know, Mexicans, things like that, Puerto Ricans. But, you know, most of the big stars, Ali, Tyson, Mayweather, you know. But what, what I found out, I did some researching and apparently this has to do with top rank. Uh, this came out like in the not so recent past they have a list of fighters that they don't want to fight. And often, you know, oftentimes it's certain black fighters that they don't want many of their stars fighting because they don't want to lose and <laughs> be made to look bad. Uh, you know, so like, for instance, like there was a time where like, uh, 
Spence was going to fight, um, or maybe, I don't know who it was. Um, Pacquiao, I think Pacquiao was going to fight uh, Spence or, or one, one of the other big uh, welterweights, and they pretty much put a, a kibosh on the whole thing. And I think Devin Haney is one of those guys that's sort of on that list that they don't really want uh, Ryan Garcia fighting, and they don't want him fighting Tank Davis either. So um, as far as the fight, I mean – kind of sucks because it's going to be an exhibition fight and they're both active fighters. But Ryan Garcia is like 22 and he's a lightweight and Manny Pacquiao's clear, you know, at this point, uh, a welterweight. I mean, in the old days, they probably would have met at a catch weight in a non-title dream match. But, you know, they're, they're calling this an exhibition, which means it's not going to be a real fight and they're going to expect people probably pay $70 a pop for it. It's kind of going to be bullshit. So, I mean, it it makes sense in this it, it, from a certain standpoint because neither guy is risking anything, you know. And it, but at the same time, it's like um, I don't know. It just shows you like Ryan Garcia is a good fighter, but he's and he might even be a great fighter, but he he's not this phenom that can just go up to welterweight and smoke Manny the way Manny went up to welterweight and smoked Oscar De La Hoya. You know, or the way Oscar went up and smoked Julio Cesar Chavez when he was young, like Ryan. Gar- and if Ryan Garcia could do that, maybe he could do that. But Top Rank and Manny Pacquiao are not going to sit around and find out if that's the case. So, you know, um, I, th- I think there's probably some uh, blame to to be doled out all around. But uh, it it went from me being like this is a cool thing to as soon as I found out it was an exhibition fight to being like, this is kind of bullshit, you know? Um, because, I mean, if it's not a real fight, why, why would we pay to... I, I get it when it's Tyson and, you know, Jones Jr., but why would I Why would I pay to watch a world two world champions n- not fight each other? Right. Uh, and his last question here, he says, where, do, where does Tanks Davis go from here? Any thoughts on the Charlo brothers? Also... Check out the Angel Luo versus Stephen Fulton Jr. fight from last Saturday on Showtime. I'll try to. Um, you know, with all the wrestling we watch and everything else, it's, it gets busy. I heard that was a good fight. Um, I don't I don't know where Tank Davis goes from here. I mean, Lightweight has a lot of, you know, great contenders. There's Tiafimo Lopez. There's uh, Lomachenko. um Freaking, obviously, I, I mentioned Devin Haney earlier. Um, so, I mean, there's quite a few people he could fight. Um, but I, I don't know what actually – and I mean, there's other people, too, that I haven't even mentioned. So, I don't, I'm not sure, really. Um, Charlo brothers are great. I always get them mixed up because they're twins. Uh, one's at middleweight, one's at junior. Uh, I think that's good. It was really confusing when they're in the same weight class, so I don't know. All right, well, that wraps up the questions. Let's do the recommended match of the week real quick. Uh, so last week it was Kojima versus Shibata from the G1 Climax 23, August 2nd, 2013. What do you think about this matchup? Uh, watch this match. Um, I don't recall having seen it in 2013 when it happened. Um, but the, this match was really, I mean, like... Um, I don't know why it's not like stuck in my memory if I did see it, but this match was awesome, man. The whole time I was watching it, I 
was thinking to myself, like, why did Jeremy pick this? Because Shibata is kicking the shit out of Satoshi Kojima. I mean, literally just eating his lunch. I mean, and the the match isn't long. It's like 11, 12 minutes. And it's almost, I mean, they start off brawling, you know, I, they, they just run it like right from the get-go, strong style forearms. But Shibata gets the better of, of the exchange pretty quick. They brawl on the outside. Shibata's winning most of those exchanges. Every now and again, Kojima will will get a, a comeback or a cutoff, but Shibata pretty much comes right back, like right on, like off of that. And um, then suddenly, like right towards the tail end of the match, it everything's going Shibata's way, and then suddenly it's just not. Kojima hits a lariat, picks him up, brain buster, hits another lariat, one, two, three, and just, it's like, this big burst that came from out of nowhere. And it's sort of like Shibata was, you know, playing too much with grumpy man Kojima, not putting him away. And Kojima didn't respect that. So, you know, he had a, he had to teach this young punk a lesson. They just fucked him up. <laughs> I, I thought this match was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Crowd was definitely behind Kojima in this match. And yeah, it was real good stuff. So uh, what's the recommended match for this week? Well, uh, to close the show, my recommended match of the week is Big Van Vader versus Kiji Muto from the G1 Climax in 1991. Now, this is a match that you're not going to be able to find on New Japan World. Um, so, But it's one of the most famous fan cam matches that are out there. You can find it very easily on YouTube, Daily Motion, I mean, pretty much everywhere. And... Um, this is pretty much regarded as the greatest match of Big Van Vader's uh, New Japan career. So, um, highly recommended. This is kind of one of those matches that made um, Kiji Muto a star. I know, Jeremy, I recommended the finals of this tournament probably a couple months back, the uh, Chono-Muto match. This is the semifinals from the night prior. And it's arguably the better match, possibly. Uh, Dave Meltzer gave it five stars at the time it happened. And so it's like one of those things. It's like it's a fan cam. Most of the time I wouldn't recommend a fan cam, but it's probably the greatest fan cam match of all time. So, And if you've never seen it, you definitely need to see it. So, All right. Well, looking forward to checking that out. I'm, I'm also recommending it because uh, Kijimuto is right on the cusp of uh, – winning that GHC title from Ghost Ozaki. <laughs> I think that shit's probably going to happen. I think that's happening. I think he's going to win. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, well, that's going to wrap things up for this week of Keeping a Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back to review the new beginning in Nagoya. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you can go us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. Follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. In the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, we are Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email, email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Rookie and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati, the 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy, All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, and Great Match Generator with Danny and Beast Mike. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week 
on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Wear your mask. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.